Hello, my name is James Paul McCartney, and I'd like to say hello to you. Go on. I'd like to tell you about our new single, but I... I can't. You! You! Yes, you! What are you doing listening to this ridiculous little glass box? Yes. Now you've thought about it, we'll get down to what we're here for. Quite well, we've brought you here for questioning. Right, right. And questioning is what's going to happen to you. Your day is grey. Do it the happy way. Here. Hi, 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 and see Moon, the multicolored band wing. We like this record because we like both sides. Seymour is the opposite. Both for their various facets. The opposite of L7. L7 means square. Square, like you. Square. So that means we must all be here for another episode of Paul or Nothing. Remember, this is wide screen podcasting and the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you're all well, safe and sound. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be doing the second of what I guess is a naturally evolving little side series where I interview a YouTuber about various obscure McCartney media. The first instalment would have been my conversation with Andrew Dixon, where we covered the documentary Put It There, and come to think of it, done a third one that kind of fits that bill, actually. But yeah, today we're focusing on the second one, and I have had the privilege, the pleasure, and the honour to be able to speak with my good friend John Heaton, and for better or worse, we will indeed be discussing and talking our way through the James Paul McCartney TV special. Of course... Many of you will already know John through his YouTube channel. Links will be down below, of course. But 
All you need to do is just type in his name as spelt in the title of this episode. And when you do, you're going to find an absolutely awesome reservoir of 70s musical chit-chat, including, of course, but not necessarily limited to, The Beatles and Solo Beatles. I've known John for a couple of years now through our mutual Facebook group chat where you can guess what we talk about. And logically, I've wanted to have him on this podcast for bloody ages now, so I'm glad to finally be putting this episode out. John was an absolute delight to converse with. He's full to the brim of stories and trivia. And I know you're all really going to enjoy this one, folks. He's got some pretty insane stories about his interactions with McCartney during the 80s. Sit tight. Also, in this episode, we're also going to have some classic Paul or Nothing wandering digressions. However, during the editing, I noticed that they do become more frequent as the episode went on. And I wonder if that is because we would we would rather be more interested in just having a more general conversation rather than necessarily the James Paul McCartney TV special. That being said, though, it has been a treat to go back and rewatch this special with a fresh open pair of eyes. This is a notorious piece of McCartney film. I'm sure you've all heard of it, even if you haven't seen it, but it is available on YouTube now. Go and watch it while you can. Now, during the 50,000 times I watched this for this podcast i got to say that there was a lot more of it that was a lot better than I had remembered. Maybe the shock wasn't so jarring this time. And there are several segments in this TV special that could do with being made available separately and away from the context of this special. That being said, though, folks, when I was watching this the half a dozen times I had to in order to do this podcast, I would be lying if I said that I didn't enjoy myself for more of it than I expected to. I mean, I certainly enjoyed it more than I did the first time. I watched it a few years ago. Of course, we don't like the phrase guilty pleasure around here, but there is something to be enjoyed in this little TV special, even if it's not the whole thing, even if the lows are pretty low. The highs, or the high, high highs, are also pretty damn enjoyable as well. I mean, the real word for this would be inconsistent. It is all over the place. There is no through line or uh, structure to it whatsoever. And in that sense, it really is the prototypical early Wings product. You know, this is before the band really know who they are, and it shows. Though, if, like me, you are rather attracted to the fact that Paul is interested in so many things at the same time and trying to do so much at once and present it all as commercial to an audience, then I think you will enjoy the James Paul McCartney TV special in a similar way to myself. However, folks, before we deep dive into the James Paul McCartney TV special, it is time that we cracked on with the housekeeping. Right, on to the news. First of all today, I just wanted to direct your attentions to a couple of fantastic 4K HD remasters of previously rather grainy and murky Macca footage that have recently hit the interwebs. The first of these 4K videos is for the Back to the Egg TV special, which looks absolutely fantastic. So much so that I ended up watching the whole thing again, near enough. And the second is the Stranglehold music video, which I hadn't actually never seen. That was a real treat for me, I must say. It's certainly not what I expected, and I cannot wait to cover it on a future, possibly the very next, uh, music video episode. Links to those two are also in the description below. 
Of course though, the big news this time straight from my source at the world famous Rumour Mill is that we are in store for a McCartney 3 covers album. Now, according to the chatter online, this is yet another one of those hype trains that McCartney has started on Spotify, whereby if you listen to McCartney 3, when each certain song from the album is playing, a certain dice image will appear and roll onto the screen with the name of a certain artist, and it's been assumed that each of these artists is going to appear on a McCartney covers album. No title is officially released as of yet. Credit goes to the guys over at the Steve Hoffman forums for this as they went through all the animations and came up with this list so I didn't have to. It reads, Long-Tailed Winter Bird, Dave and Olbarn, Find My Way, Beck, Pretty Boys, Kurongbin or Kurangbin, Women and Wives, St. Vincent, Lavatory Lil, Josh Home, Deep Deep Feeling, 3D, or Robert Denagia from Massive Attack, Sliding, Ed O'Brien, The Kiss of Venus by Dominic Fike, Seize the Day, Phoebe Bridges, Deep Down, Orange Blood Orange, and Winter Bird When Winter Comes by Park or Pack. Now, this all seems to make sense as Paul on his own Spotify playlist, sticking out of my back pocket, has recently featured several cover versions that he's done. And on his recent Reddit AMA, aka Ask Me Anything interview, when he was asked about what contemporary music he was listening to, he actually mentioned several of these artists. In terms of specific collabs that I'm excited for, though, it really is a dream. I've always wanted Damon Arburn to collab with Paul in some regard. You know, I'd like him to produce an album for him, really. But if not, this is a perfectly fine second place prize, especially if he's in Gorillaz mode rather than Blur. Josh Home from Queens of the Stone Age and them Crooked Vultures is obviously going to have a lot of fun with the riffy Lavatory Lil. Massive Attack tackling the eight-minute esoteric epic that is Deep Deep Feeling makes total sense. I can't wait to hear what Beck does with those little instrumental segments on Find My Way. And finally, I am low-key a huge St. Vincent fan. I could totally do a podcast on her, and I intend to one day. And if her appearance on this album could lead to her and Paul doing something similar to what she did with David Byrne on their collab album titled Love This Giant then that would, that would make me happier than the news of any other new solo Macca album, and I'm not kidding when I say that. Anyway, this is 99% good as true news. I could not be happier. It's new quote-unquote McCartney product for the year, and I can't wait to get my grubby little hands on it. I'm sure there's going to be another 26 versions of this album to get. Uh, I actually went on St. Vincent's own website for the release of her new album, and she does unironically have an eight track available so brace yourselves for anything here folks you know people are going to complain again but again i can't wait to try and get my own unique copy of the album as well also speaking of spotify as per the usual just before i started recording i noticed something new i wanted to talk about and that was the fact that the album wingspan has now been re-uploaded to spotify wingspan the insane compilation album that deals with both early solo McCartney and his time in Wings. And why is this important, folks? Well, because it's the only way you can listen to Daytime Nighttime Suffering and the Bit Bop Hey Diddle Medley on Spotify. So, whew, I'm glad that's over. 
And finally, I just want to cap things off by reading out another one of our classic one-star reviews. Yes, we indeed have had another one, folks. And it just came in the other day. Let's just have a quick look at it. It reads as thus. One star. Needs a lot of editing. And for the host to realise he's just not very witty. Would be much better if he played it straight instead of trying to be wacky all the time. Oof. Not going to lie, folks. That one did hurt a little. So I promise in earnest that the entirety of this episode is not going to feature any attempts of wit on my part. Maybe John, I don't know. However, I will still employ quips, wordplay, jokery, and possibly display shrewdness, humour, and gumption, if those will be permitted by whoever wrote that review. Maybe they'll write in, who knows. Because they can always write in to paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Yes, folks, please get in contact with the show. I always love reading out your correspondence and padding out, uh, I mean, making our housekeeping segments so enjoyable for myself. Of course, I always want to hear your Paul McCartney stories, your Paul McCartney trivia, how he's been involved in your life. Have you ever met him? Have you been to his concerts? What trivia and factoids do you know? Send it all into paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. We do have two quick little emails to read out here today, everyone. First of all, we have a helpful correction for last episode. Last episode, of course, was Snova v CCR or Chobber or the Russian album, a swapcast that I did with Anthony Rotuno. Of course, it's always easier to get correspondence from your listeners by saying the wrong thing than by saying the right. And within milliseconds of releasing the episode, one of our listeners, Lance, who I believe has written in before, sent in this. Hi Sam, you stated that the album was recorded over two days in July 1988. It was in fact recorded in July 1987. I know it's pedantic, but I thought I'd say. I'm afraid I suffer from being old enough to remember all of this stuff. It's great, but it's also a curse, as you feel compelled to point these things out. Great podcast, keep up the work, Lance. As always, thank you for that dude. As I said in the email... Thank you for pointing out that error. I, I, I'm not saying that with any irony whatsoever, because no matter how detailed I might think an episode is, stuff like that always slips through the cracks, and I imagine I will do a little bit of editing and resend Anthony those files for when he uploads them to his podcast stream in a few weeks. If anything, though, it's nice enough to know that someone is listening closely enough to actually spot a mistake in the first place and care enough to write in. And in terms of being an insufferable pedant, my gosh, I know your pain. Like when I was listening to the first episode of a certain rival Beatles podcast that will remain nameless, uh, a lot of mistakes were made in that first episode, which I did find quite amusing being the ridiculous nerd that I am at my own level. And whilst being correct about something absolutely feels great, you know, there's no denying that, it does get to a certain point where you do spot that you might be being a bit annoying. And I always try and suppress those urges, obviously. Our second email is another Paul McCartney story, as well as being in the subgenre of Paul McCartney parenting stories. It's from a chap named Lawrence, not Juba, and it reads as thus... Sam, so in my family, Americans with links to Essex and Liverpool, my dad and I are both named Lawrence. 
And so, it became problematic after I was born to have two people named Larry in the house. My dad became Big Larry, and I sadly was called Little Larry. Alas, the alliterative burden of that moniker also proved burdensome, so my nickname was shortened to simply Little, and it remains so to this day. As a toddler, around 1971, when Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey came in on the radio in Chicago, my mum would sing to me the break, Little, little, be a gypsy, get around. And it made me think the song was written for me. I'm now 54, and I still believe it was. Great podcast, by the way. Larry, a.k.a. Little Larry. Again, thank you so much for that personable little insight into your own past there, Little Larry. It was very illuminating indeed. And I reckon if we asked Paul himself as to whether your mother's interpretation of those lyrics is correct or not, I think he'd be inclined to agree. You know, we'll just have to wait and see whether Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey is going to feature in McCartney's new lyrics book slash autobiography. Who knows? We might get lucky. If you spot a mistake like Lance, or if you have a personal little story like Little Larry, please write into paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Like I say, I always like reading out a good email or two before we start things off. Of course, if you want more regular contact, follow us on our Twitter page, which is at McCartneyPod, where I post silly little things every day. Uh, If you want bonus Paul or Nothing content, you want to see some extra articles I've written for the show, go and check out our sister blog at paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Please follow us on all of the socials. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube simply by typing in Paul McCartney Podcast or Paul or Nothing. If you want to help out the show right away, please leave us a review on whatever platform you are using. Give us the old thumbs up if you can. And hey, if you want to give us a five-star review, you know, to counter the one-star review we just read out there, that would really make my day. Go ahead, punk. Make my day. Sorry. Sorry, that was was probably a bit too wacky, wasn't it? Sorry. And finally, folks, if you want to help out the show directly, if you want to help see the show grow, please consider joining our Patreon. Patreon is the service, of course, where you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself. And it allows you to throw a couple of dollars at my face down the internet every month. You know, it goes straight into the costs of hosting the show as well as getting products to review, new equipment for the show, possible guests, that kind of thing. Like I say, it always goes back into the show. There are no ads, so I'm not going to make any money that way. So if you've been enjoying, you know, the nearly five years of content I've done, over 100 episodes now, and you'd like to show some support or appreciation for that, please consider joining our Patreon family. Our Patreon family, including people such as Teresa Breda, Stephanie Miller, Louis DiLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S., Sam Hode, Anastasia P., Tony Vosal, Warren Butson, and Matt Phillips. Oddly, for some reason, um, now that we're actually getting episodes out regularly, sometimes even less than a week after the last one, we've lost two patrons. Uh, I, I hope they can afford to return soon. I hope it's not a quality issue on their part. I hope they're not going through any financial difficulties, you know, enough to drop a, you know, a dollar to a podcast a month. I know, of course, things that are going horrendously wrong in the world out there. So, you know, folks, if you can't afford to give into to the show, you know, conversely, you do not have to. Things aren't that dire 
on my end where I'm living off this podcast or anything, you know, I'm just trying to keep the lights running. Anyway, everyone, now that we've gotten all of the plugs out of the way, let's just crack on with the show. One, two, three, let's go. And now, folks, it's time for me to bring on today's guest. And I've got to say, I'm really excited to have him on as he's really one of the, only the few people on earth who actually talk about Paul McCartney with outside of this podcast before inviting him on the show, even. Yes, along with friend of the show, Andy, me and my guest are part of an irreplaceable, precious Facebook chat group where, you guessed it, we talk about the Beatles. However, this will not be where you know him from, folks. No, you will know my guest today, Mr. John Heaton, from the powerful John Heaton YouTube channel, which is another invaluable source of information for this show. Go and subscribe if you haven't already. Yes, there is a bit of a pattern emerging with my guests here, folks. But behind the scenes, I've been waiting to get John on the show for a while, not just because he's incredibly knowledgeable and well-read and all that malarkey, but just because he's a really nice chap who I enjoy speaking about the Beatles with, which is a rare commodity these days. So let's get right into it. Everyone, please welcome John Heaton to the podcast. What's going on, dude? Hey, man. I'm sitting in Budapest. We're in uh, lockdown like everyone else. 8 p.m. curfew. Oof. So um, shops are open, though. Pubs are closed, which is a drag. Um, <laughs> it's a drag, you know. Pro- probably watching even more uh, YouTube than I normally do. Yeah, very fitting for uh, today's conversation. I'm really glad to finally have you here on the show, dude. And along with Andrew Dixon, my last guest, who I'm, who I'm sure you know as well, I've been indulging in yeah. your channel for a while now. And I'm yep. just glad we were, we were able to make this happen. Uh, just one little aside, though. I do want to point out that your channel yep. isn't just Beatles. And I fucking loved your review of Fear of Music by Talking Heads. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I think that's my favorite Heads album by, by quite a distance, actually. That on their first one. Oh, really? You, you see, um, the first album for me is probably one of their weaker ones, if I'm honest. Um, in the video, you say you've only got the first three albums. Have you bought Remain in Light yet? That's the real magnum opus. Only on CD. I don't have it on vinyl. I'm looking out for it. But I'll tell you how I first heard Fear of Music, because uh, I'd, I'd had more buildings of, about food or whatever it's called than the first one on CD. And I walked mm-hmm. into FOP in uh, Shaftesbury Avenue, you know, the one in London, mm-hmm. um, and they were playing this really cool music. And I went up to the counter and said, what are you playing? And they said, Fear of Music. I could see the CD there. So I bought it on the spot. So I was wow. pretty late coming to that album. Now, uh, Talking Heads are one of those bands where you don't really encounter them in the wild all that often. But when you find the fans, you find out that they are as rabid as a Ringo Starr fan, you know? <laughs> yeah. And no, I... I I have Remain in Light. In fact, I have all of them on CD. I just don't have any more on vinyl other than the first three. I actually bought my very first CD ever today. Um, I got Flowers in the Dirt in the post. And for a guy born in 1992, it's taken me a, quite a while to buy the format of my era. <laughs> yeah. So what were you doing up to now? I mean, apart from Spotify, were you buying vinyl or, or um, how were you accessing Paul's new albums? Well... <sighs> Every time, so this happened with Egypt Station, it happened with McCartney 3. In my head, I'm going, I'm going to be pure. I'm not going to listen to it till I get it home and put it on my record player. But before I've even walked through the doors of HMV, I'm already on side two of Egypt Station, you know? Yeah. 
yeah it's it's difficult <laughs> but uh no um, i've really been getting into the collecting side of things lately like cassette tapes cds different versions different mixes one listener sent me through the limited edition of this one the seven inch that's got the reverse of the long and winding road on the b side i mean talking to anyone other than you maybe or my listeners people just think i'm, I'm an insane person sam why do you have four copies of chobber i'm like because they've got slightly different artwork on. That's why it's very important, you know? Yeah, I'm trying not to buy CDs these days because I think they're a bit, bit I wouldn't say redundant because Spotify is not brilliant quality. But <laughs> in terms of collectible, in terms of treasuring a collection, there's nothing to touch vinyl. There really isn't. No, and the thing about vinyl is there's that bit in the back of your head where you go, look, if the electricity goes out tomorrow, I've just got to learn to crank a handle at 33 and a third and i can still listen to all of my favorite music <laughs> i think you still need some electricity though wouldn't you oh don't ruin my fantasy john please <laughs> yeah no uh, one other thing before we get into our main conversation i have to compliment you on what i found to be the most polite british title to a youtube video ever one yeah. of your recent ones <laughs> 10 albums somewhat overrated in my opinion like that like that's so not how everyone else does YouTube titles. Like everyone else would go, 10 crazy albums that are way overrated. Yeah, well, you have to be careful, as you probably know, if you espouse an opinion, and you, even though you make it clear at the beginning of the video, look, guys, this is only my opinion, and it's subjective, <laughs> you get, in, invariably, you get at least one or two comments saying, excuse me, are you, are you living on the same planet? You know, that kind of thing. And I just get tired of replying to people like that because I've <laughs> in particular, my top 20 um, albums of all time, which is one of my most viewed videos, people get so upset that I've put Pink Floyd the Wall in there instead of uh, Wish You Were Here or something. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> as long as wildlife was number one, that's all I care about. You know, you do, you do not have to answer that or, or correct me if that's not true. I'd rather have... I didn't uh, make it, but I, I had a rule that you could you can't have more than two records right. from an artist. So I had two Beatles albums in there, and I think I allowed myself one solo record from each Beatle from memory. Wow. No, uh, it's like when I'm talking to Ken Michaels and he's got these American radio laws where he can't play more than two songs from an artist in an hour block. So he has to do two Beatles songs, a Paul song, a solo John song, a Quarry Men song, and he really has to stretch stretch that format over, over, over the hour but luckily the Beatles together or apart never stopped recording well did, did you know that um in Hungary I don't listen to the radio that often these days but when there used to be a Beatles day on Slago radio or one of the stations here mm. they they didn't care whether it was solo or group they just played jet got my mind set on you or whatever it was as if it was a Beatles song I love and, the sound um, of that. That's my great. father-in-law, for example, thought that the Beatles. He thought my father-in-law thought the Beatles split up in 1980. <laughs> so, <laughs> so some news just doesn't travel to you know across to Budapest if you're not that interested. So that's. That. <laughs> I could just imagine your father-in-law listening to Cook of the House and being like, "Which Beatles singing this?" Well, no, we haven't got that far with him. But he, he, he basically admitted to me that uh, I'm 99% interested in the music and I don't really care about the lyrics, mainly because he can't understand them. 
But so, for example, Obla D is his favorite song. <laughs> that makes so much sense. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sing along. Yeah, I mean, you can just sing that song with the syllables and the melody and it works just as well. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. So um, you've already answered my my main first question, which is where are you calling from and what's the weather like? Yeah. I think you're the second person I've ever had that hasn't either been from the US or the UK. The other one would have been uh, Jeffrey Giuliano, but I wouldn't want to ever put you in the same group as him in any context. So I'll move swiftly, <laughs> swiftly onwards. <laughs> Something else I always do, John, I like to get a bit of a baseline, see what your uh, quick fire thoughts on various Beatles questions are. The questions are quick fire. Your answers need not be. Are you ready? Yep. Favorite Paul McCartney album? Uh, including Wings, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, London Town. What? Oh my God, folks, stop Stop the show. Stop the show right now. We need to go into detail. Explain yourself, <laughs> sir. Explain yourself. Well, I mean, probably linked to the fact that it was... So that and Wings Over America are my top two because those, those were the first two I acquired. Right. A, Classic story, a, yeah. Starting off on my Beatles journey um, in 1978 as a 14-year-old. So I remember seeing that in the shop. I remember seeing the you know, the colours in the of the inner sleeve as you looked inside it and then being delighted with the poster. And mm. so that that was my first on day of purchase, day of release purchase. And I think that for that reason it's got sentimental value. Mm. But you know, even that aside, I'll, I'll defend I know you you personally are very fond of uh, with a little luck, and that's probably in my top five. McCartney songs ever. Mm. Um, and Can't I'm also argue with that. incredibly fond of some of the tracks you don't like on side one, such, such as I'm Carrying, I think is sensational. And um, the title track, I, I love it. I mean, lyrics are a bit silly, but <laughs> what, a, what a melody. What a melody. It, it's just yeah. exquisite. And, and I'm Carrying, you know, sitting on that yacht in the Virgin Islands with the ocean and the dolphins, you can almost hear, you can almost see the picture. And I think there, there's a version of it before he took out the, um, what's the noise an acoustic guitar makes? But, uh, it's kind of squeaking noise. Um, oh, what, like where he's bringing his fingers up the strings or something? Well, it's just an acoustic, no, this is before the strings. I think there's just a, a stripped down version noise, of, you know, when you change from a, I don't know, right. I'm not a guitarist, but... Um, I'm not either. It's quite <laughs> nice to have that in there, actually, because it sounds, sounds more natural, yeah. Look, John, I would gladly kill the the title track and uh, Cafe on the Left Bank a thousand times if it meant Water Spout could have made it onto that album instead. Yeah, I love Water Spout, but, you know, the album's already 52 minutes long, so that's why we have the archive series. We've got to save something for the archive, right? I can imagine McCartney back in, like, 76, 70, being like, no, no, guys, in, like, 40 years, you know, I'm going to do something called the archive series. And Yeah, well, you know, he was complaining that he didn't put Mullican Tar on the, the album because it would have sold more copies. But it just didn't fit the concept. No, no, it didn't, An album didn't, no. called London Town and the, the song about Mullican Tar. <laughs> I mean, I know that the whole thing was recorded in the Virgin Islands anyway, so it's a little bit kind of lacking in continuity from that respect. But I, I'm happy that Mullican Tar is a standalone single. And mm. I actually, well, we're on this topic, I think Ebony and Ivory should have also been a standalone single. Oh, um, yeah. Not been on Tug of War. You could have put I'll Give You a Ring. 
And, uh, oh, you're, you're breaking my heart. Don't don't talk about stuff like that because that that, <laughs> that would have been so divine, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I know you think Ebony and Ivory is cheesy, and I but I like it as a stand. But I think it, it would work better as a standalone single with the message and all that. I don't. I think it's a bit lost at the end of Tug of War. And to be honest with you, I'm probably not the only one who who might skip it occasionally when I'm playing <laughs> that album because they've got it at the end there, haven't they? If you're going to do that, though, would you yeah. make Say, Say, Say a standalone single as well for continuity? I just wouldn't have had McCartney and Jackson collaborate at all, period. <gasps> you're one of them. You're one yeah. of those. Oh, I find it so. So, John, you yeah. may not be listening to the show for the half decade I've been doing it, but I've been, I've got a bit of a, a gripe with people who hate Say, Say, Say. I'm not saying you hate it. I wouldn't use strong words like that. But there is such a backlash against it that I never knew existed. I thought everyone loved McCartney and everyone loved Michael Jackson, but you mix the two together and suddenly people aren't quite so taken. What's what, what's yeah. your issue with it? I mean, are you more of a, a fan of the man? Not particularly, no. I mean, if you want me to say what Michael's highlight is, is the bad album. That's my favourite album of his. And I think at least half of Dangerous is brilliant. Oh, no one talks about Liberian Girl ever. No, I mean, side one of Bad is considerably worse than side two, but side two, another part of me, Man in the Mirror, just can't stop loving you, Dirty Diana, smooth criminal. <laughs> when you say it like that, John, yeah, that's yeah, pretty fucking killer. Amazing. <laughs> and at least half of Dangerous is great as well. So I'm, I'm a pr- pretty big fan. It's just that put them together, uh, I don't know, there's something a bit commercial about it, and we're trying to have hits kind of thing. And I think that's what Michael said when he phoned up Paul on Christmas Day and said, hey, Paul, you want to make some hits? So that's exactly what they did. And uh, at the time, I was happy that Paul was number two in the charts. But, you know, he had to sacrifice a little bit of his artistic integrity to to get that hit. So I was happier when... And soul by this point. (laughs) I was happier when he got to number one on his own with Pipes of Peace the following year or the same year. No, um... Unfortunately, most of the podcasting world is American. And whenever I hear things like, Pipes of Peace didn't get to number one, I'm like, oh, God, you've got it so wrong. No, no. Mulligan Tires are number one, not girls' school. Well, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe in the US it didn't, probably didn't get to number one, did it? Uh, No, no. I don't don't think it broke top 10 in the States, I don't think. And girls' school got to number 33. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I I think girls' school is a fantastic track. But they should have promoted Mulligan Tires. I don't know what drug they were on um, yeah i mean just weird. just promote it in boston at least you know there's a giant expat community community there you could have made a bit of a few quid yep uh, right that's one of my quick fire questions down let's see how well we're doing so far here's another one what is your unpopular mccartney opinion probably not being that not raving about chaos See, I'm coming up to Flaming Pie soon, and I'm looking at that as the overrated album that's next in my kind of vista. The shorthand I've heard, I haven't listened to Chaos in full. I've been a very good boy and not jumped ahead. I've heard that after Fine Line, it becomes a completely different album and is a bit of a letdown. Well, actually, Fine Line is one of my least favourite tracks. So we always differ on these things, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. I I think... um, some of the ballads are outstanding on on Chaos without giving anything away, Sam. But um, is that is that Jenny Wren as well? Jenny Wren is pretty yeah. damn good, and Any Day at the End is brilliant. And How Kind of You, the second track, is great. I just don't like Fine Line particularly, and I hate English Tea. 
<gasps> no, no, I recognise that. Well, I love English tea. It's like the it's like the single pigeon of modern Paul. Yeah, but it's so pretentious. Like cro- playing croquet and stuff. It's just oh dear, oh dear. No, I I find it quite objectionable. If if you compare that to um well, single pigeon. I, I hate pigeon, so that doesn't help. It's a great song. But like compare it to you gave me the answer, which is just so charming. Yes. Um, yeah. Both versions, the live version and the album version. Compare it to which that. Which do you prefer? I prefer the live version. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. I mean, John. actually, I'm, I'm a bit perverse in that respect because I bought Wings of America before I bought Venus and Mars. So by the time I got to Venus and Mars, some of the tracks sounded slow. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, I mean, you must have been gutted when you found out uh, that Paul never wrote Go Now or Richard Corey. No, I didn't mind because I was a pretty big fan of Denny from the from the early days. You know, that poster of London Town was the three of them. And so I got to know who Denny was. And, he, and you know, he has two tracks on London Town. He co-write, co-writes five out of the tracks. And then I soon discovered Time to Hide from Speed of Sound and No Words from Band on the Run and again and again and again from Egg. So I, I was a big Denny fan. Have you listened to um, Holidays recently? Not recently, but I had I have it on vinyl. I think it's quite decent. I think it's actually one of my favourite Wings albums, low key. It, it's so fun. At least side one, side two is a bit slow and a bit pondering. But those first five, like five six songs from like Heartbeat and Rave on and stuff like that, it's like oh, when when Paul's not putting the pressure of trying to release a number one single, he can actually produce some quite fun kooky music I, i've really enjoyed that album I'm yeah, I, love the, uh... I love the fact that it's just him and denny together in the studio i do remember playing it at my parents house in wimbledon and my aunt walked in the room who's a big buddy holly fan and listened to it and said well it's not the original is it something <laughs> so whatever you can't please everyone i guess i guess you can say the reaction was crickets no oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> it's not cricket <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, next one. Uh, underrated Beatles album. Uh, I'd have to say Let It Be. I, That's I get, fair. I get yeah. sick of people slagging off Spectre's work on that album. <laughs> I think he, he's, he did a fine job, even on Long and Winding Road and uh, on Two of Us. You compare it to Naked and Two mm. of Us is outstanding. And I've got a feeling the, the guitars are like twice as loud on the Spectre version as on Naked. So you know, everyone talks about Long and Winding Road. It doesn't talk about the other tracks. And Let It Be, the album track, is far superior to George Martin's single, in my opinion. Like mm. people are having to add that, <laughs> in my opinion. No. And Get Back as well. George yeah. Martin's got the guitars mixed so low, it's not even funny. <laughs> oh whereas, you know, Spectre's <laughs> got this, you know, Rosetta, you know, Sweet Loretta part. She thought she was a cleaner but she was a frying pan what a perfect intro mm. you know what a, oh, and yeah. i dig a pygmy at the beginning of the album so let it be hands down i think i love it it's in my top three or four you know when you, you show someone an optical illusion and you don't see it and you would never have seen it unless they said oh no no if you hold it this way it's both a rabbit and a duck you're like oh okay i see it now with spectre i flip back and forth between is this my opinion or is this an opinion that's been programmed into me from countless podcasts and books and stuff? And, you know, 
before I was a major fan, I never knew that George Martin didn't produce this album or, or there was a major change in the, in, yeah, in the staff. Didn't, it, you didn't throw up when you heard it, did you? If anything, I was just upset that Don't Let Me Down didn't, didn't make yeah. the cut. That's, that's it. The only, uh, that's the only letdown. But then at the time, singles didn't tend to go on albums with the exception of Get Back, which, which did. <laughs> I mean, are you saying you're upset that Spectre didn't save Save the Last Dance for Me and Rocker from the Glyn Johns cut? No, I think he did well to ditch those. I mean, they're terrible, aren't they? And I've got a feeling the version on the Glenn Johns album is woeful. It was a pretty bad mistake. And I think Lennon says at the end that I cocked it up trying to get loud. It's not, <laughs> even, a, not even a complete take. Oh, so, no. Um, maybe it's, I've only got a bootleg version of it, Sam, so I don't know. what. If I had a pristine Glenn Johns mix, maybe I'd think differently. But on the bootleg, it sounds poor. But that could be because of bootleg quality. Possibly someone you know might have a digital copy that they can send you later, allegedly, possibly. Not, <laughs> not you know, just fiction, folks. Just what's an overrated Beatles album? Well, I know you asked Andrew Dixon that question. I, I struggle with that question, but it, if I have to pick one, I would say Mystery Tour because it's not really a proper album. And I did a video not so long ago comparing Pepper with Mystery Tour just because it's interesting from the same year, mm. blah, blah. And it was amazing how many people leapt to, to the defensive mystery tour and said, oh, it's far better, it's far better. And it's not. I mean, let, the, title track, the, the title track mystery tour is a, a pale shadow of Sergeant Pepper title track. Yeah. Blue Jay Way is a pale shadow of within you, without you. And you could go on. Oh, my I mean, God. You, you are totally convincing me here. I've I mean, never I've thought got, about we, it that way. and Fool on the Hill are, are absolutely superb. Don't get me wrong. But side two... You know, it's a little bit disjointed because it's it's all taken from singles, isn't it? And it's mm. it's five star Beatles music, so it's difficult to answer that question, Sam, about what is overrated because mm -hmm. I don't think anything really is. I mean, you could say Revolver is a little bit overrated because everyone's saying it's perfection the these days, and uh, mm. it's not. I don't think Love You Too is perfection, for example, in my opinion. I I don't know what you think. I don't think Yellow Submarine is perfection, so. I tend to skip, well, if I do play Revolver, I might find myself skipping those two tracks, depending on what mood I'm in. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. No, uh, I'm waiting. Like, I feel like there's a 20-year cycle of the best Beatles album. So yeah. we're in, we're, well, we should really be at the tail end of Revolver's dominance since like the year 2000-ish, really. But... I want Rubber Soul to get some credit for once in a while. It's the transitional album from black and white to Technicolor Beatles. And it's the transition from alcohol to LSD Beatles. And the, the, I, I don't think there's a dud on it. I really, I I really don't. More, more grass than LSD at Rubber Soul. LSD oh. was coming in. It's, oh no, but that, that, that's why I mean, it's the, it's, it's the transition, like soft, like yeah. softer drugs, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I absolutely adore Rubber Soul. And I think once you get to Rubber Soul, you could rank any of those albums. You know, the White Album could easily be seen as the best as well. I often say, say if, if I had to play a Beatles album to a Martian, I think it might well be Rubber Soul. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's the so best. Because it's so accessible. Mm. You know, you could play it to someone on first listen. They say, this is fantastic. Well, I don't know how Martian <laughs> would speak, but you know. Yeah, yeah. No woman, no woman. 
I'm trying to think of like a take me to your leader pun, but I can't think of anything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. I wonder if they'd get upset with the, uh, you notice how everyone's getting upset with run, with your, run for your life these days. Oh, what? Because it's slightly problematic. Because it's like slightly derogatory to whoever he's singing to and threatening and... Uh, well, it's 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 a good thing it's fiction and not real life, like all music. Yeah. I mean, God, it's just it, how many times girlfriend boyfriend have those kind of discussions? I mean, it doesn't mean he's literally going to kill her. I guess the the problem is that we know that John was violent with women. That's why it rubs people the wrong way. But no one gets upset about getting better, which is like yeah. a song that addresses yeah. it directly. And right. I don't, I, I, I don't know. If you can't separate the art, the art from the artist, then don't listen to, don't listen to this to this podcast because I don't particularly think McCartney's the nicest of people in his private life. I think he can be quite cold and calculating when he when he wants to be. I mean, obviously, one of the greatest swindles John ever pulled was calling Paul the great manoeuvrer when he himself was arguably an even greater manoeuvrer. But um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's just music. I mean. I don't think there's anyone from the original 50s era of rock and roll, if you were to ask them their opinions on diversity and sexuality and women these days, they would all be cancelled. Like, if you know what Tutti Frutti is about, you know that Little Richard would not make it two years in the modern world. Yeah, yeah. And you just reminded me, I was reading a, a quote from Eric Idle in a book the other day, and he was saying George Harrison is one of the few morally good people to come out of the rock world thinking, what garbage is that you know just because he gives money to charity or whatever he's he's a flawed human being like like the rest of us i mean i'm not talking about what Giuliano said on your show particularly but i i, I find george to be quite a prickly human being in in interviews over the years more so than paul just take the lee out of prickly and you'll kind of get george on a good day yeah no, yeah um, there were there were humans, but they've been deified, so they have to be better than young men brought up in post World War II England in an entirely different world with an entirely different set of rules and context. But it's twenty twenty one, John. Context doesn't exist. But we're not getting political here on Paul or nothing. I could feel myself on the yeah. precipice of a rant there. I really could, and uh, I and shall. Also, one has to remind oneself that one of the Beatles got murdered, and another one, Dan Lilly, got murdered with mm. so who'd be a beetle you know who, who'd go through what they went through with all the fame and fortune they got mm. is it worth it when when one and very nearly two of them get killed at the end of the day quite a sobering thought there's so much said about john's murder but the harrison home invasion stabbing incident might be one of the most harrowing tales i've ever read and heard in in in, in interviews in that living in the material world documentary. Oh, yeah. like um, when when Olivia Harrison says, you know, I remember my daddy saying, don't throw like a girl, always follow through. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the most visceral, biting bit of footage ever. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine having to go through. Like, I mean, John, you know, for all the, the tragedy that happened to him, he was shot and killed and killed quite quickly. Whereas if things had gone south either way, a couple of stabs or, you know, if the knife went a couple of inches here or there, George could have had a, a terrible end to his life. And it's yeah, it's awful to think. Yeah. 
And like, could you imagine how broken the world would be if two of the Beatles were murdered as well? Yeah, it was just it would. Oh, it's already upsetting enough with uh, with John and and what happened to George. Um, Do you remember that day in 1980? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was 16. I was at boarding school, and uh, I got woken up by three people in the morning. I remember two of them, James Stewart and Joe Ellis, who I'm friends with to this day. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, I had to go to morning chapel and then I had exams that day and uh, couldn't concentrate. Exams? Fuck that. Everyone gets an A today. I'm sorry. John Lennon's yeah, no, died. I didn't give you any relief from that. There's some bloody microeconomics exam and I did terribly in it. <laughs> uh, and then I went back and we listened to Andy Peebles for the rest of the day because he was playing excerpts from the, uh, from the interview from the previous Saturday. Is that the one that's like three or four hours long, the really yeah. big one? Yeah. And it's on YouTube. You can listen to it. Now, I've, I've heard the first hour of it, and like Yoko's really actually quite charming and fun and interesting. It's very different to how she's ever been presented in anything else I've ever, I've ever listened to. Yeah, well, Andy Peebles, I don't know if you, if you heard later on, he, he decided that he thought John and Yoko was a sham and they were just pretending they were in love and actually they weren't. A few years ago, he came out with that, and I just thought, thanks a lot, Peebles. <laughs> having said nothing for years, you come out with that, and John's not a- around to answer you. I was just outraged, you know. I kind of had quite a lot of respect for Peebles because he did a similar show with Paul to, m- to remote McCartney 2 and Tug of War. Um, mm. Same format, you know, going through all the track, talking about his career and stuff. I always thought I'm... he was one of the good ones. Yeah, the John and Yoko love stories. It's it's going to be like the Kennedy assassination and nine eleven. People are going to theorize about it for hundreds of years, and we'll never know the truth. We, you know, yeah, possibly Sam. But then Double Fantasy wasn't wasn't portraying a perfect couple. It was portraying no. the ups and downs of a relationship. If you listen to the album, you oh, know, yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, moving the, on. Give the best song is is I'm losing you, and it's yeah. it's not a love song at all. No, and I'm moving on and, and give me something and neither. So, and, and he admits in the interview, not just the people's one, all the interviews around 1980, we're not trying to portray ourselves as the perfect couple. We have our problems. No doubt we will have our problems. You know, he's very honest about it. And it's only because he was sanctified after he died that now people are trying to redress the balance. Mm. And of course, Giuliano's got all his mad theories. No, I mean, I'm sure he came across the John Lennon diaries honestly and fairly and not through unscrupulous means at all <laughs> now john this is the part of the episode that i've secretly been looking forward to the the james paul mccartney tv special uh shtick has it's been a sham an excuse to get me to this part of the conversation of course you and friend of the show andy go back to the 80s apple scruff days which to me is an incredibly magical time with unfathomable access to the big mac himself yeah mpl we've, stuff, i think rather. we've got some time so if you need to use words like allegedly or use the third person and say it happened to a friend do whatever you have to but please can you just regale me with some classic apple scruff mpl scruff hijinks yeah well i was kind of late coming to the party because andrew had already been hanging out outside mpl which is in soho square mm-hmm. west end of london for those of you who don't know um so basically, he'd been hanging out since about 85, and I joined 
around May of 87, I, I went to work for KPMG in Blackfriars and every lunchtime I used to get the tube to Tottenham Court Road and go to Soho Square just to see, well, first of all, it was just to see Paul's office because I, I found out it was there. And then I kind of met people hanging outside and they said, what are you doing? <laughs> so we're waiting for Paul. So I kind of hung around with them. I had to go back to work most days. But when one day we spotted his car and we knew the number plate, 900 MPL, <laughs> I just bought, I didn't bother going back to work that day. I stayed till 3.30 when he came out. I got my London Town coffee signed. No. Oh, my God. Totally worth it. Totally worth not going back to work, 100%. So, yeah, I, I remember... I don't know, have you been to Sarah Square? Have you, you know, the stairs come down towards the entrance. Have you seen that? I'm going to say yes for the benefit of the conversation. Okay, well, basically, that there's a long set of stairs where someone coming from upstairs down to the ground floor to come out the front door, you can see them coming down the stairs. And I saw Paul coming down the stairs, and I cannot tell you how excited I was that a beetle was coming towards me and I was going to meet him, or I was at least going to see him. I was going to be within a couple of yards of him. And, uh, and he got. Did you just go? Uh, 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 yeah, I was a bit tongue-tied. There was about ten of us, I guess. So he he politely signed whatever we had for him. And I, uh, this is going to piss you off, but I, I when I handed it in London Town, I said, "What's your favourite track?" And he said, oh, "I'm not very good on favourite tracks." And I said, "Cafe on the Left Bank, that's a good one. You like that one?" He goes, "Yeah, I like that one." <laughs> <laughs> So, you had one chance to talk to him and you spoke about Cafe on the Left yes, Bank. You yes, are guilty. right and angry. You are right. Guilty. You should you should have said, what's the who played keyboards on Morse Moose? Yeah, I could have uh, there's a lot of things I could have asked him. I remember handing him London Town to, for him to sign the front cover and he just instinctively turned it over to sign the back cover, which I thought was interesting. Not that I care, but <laughs> but um lesson learned from that that if you're gonna get an autograph. Make sure you have a good blue Sharpie with you, not some crappy blue biro, because that autograph is virtually illegible now, unfortunately. But I got Linda to sign it later that year. I got Denny to sign it um, later that year. That was a great year, 87, because I met Paul outside MPL about three or four times. Uh, Denny was doing a tour of the pubs in London, the King's Head in Fulham, the Star and Garter, various other pubs, I think. Wimbledon Theatre one night, I remember. And then we got in, Andrew and I got into the BBC in December 87. And I don't mind saying this, because the security at the BBC was absolutely crap. So I, I flashed my KPMG pass and Andrew flashed his British Telecom pass. And we just walked straight past the security into the this building. This is such a pre-9-11 story. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we went up to the, whatever it was, the fifth floor, we were sitting in the canteen pretending we were extras or whatever, Ricky Gervais. And then the, the going live thing was happening in the next studio. And when the live transmission finished, we just went in the door, climbed over some wires and, and entered the studio and went up to Paul, about three or four of us, Andrew, me and a couple of others. First of all, I, I said, Paul, you know, the security in this building is terrible. We just walked in off the street. I just wanted him to be aware of that because it was only seven years after Lennon was killed. Of course, yeah, yeah. And I think, I, I don't know if he reacted. I can't remember his reaction, but hopefully he took it in because he was with his whole family that day. Children, Linda, Mary, Stella, James, they were all there. And I said, when's your new album coming out? This was December 87. He said, well, we thought we'd just put it out in Russia. 
And I said, well, I thought he was joking, but it turned out to be the Russian, Russian album. Oh, my um, God. Wow. And then I got kind of tongue-tied. And as he walked off, I said, Heart of the Country, great track. And he goes, oh, you like that one, do you? Great. And then he walked off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I'm so I'm so green with jealousy right now. Yeah. I mean... And then the, la- the last time I, I saw Paul was... Uh, I, he was not at the MPL, so I, I kind of was walking away towards Oxford Street, the, the little side street which leads from Soho Square to Oxford Street. And suddenly, I had my copy of Beatles Monthly with me and Paul's car pulled up at the traffic lights and stopped. And so I, fucking hell, it's Paul. So I, <laughs> I kind of uh, waved through the window and held, held up my Beatles Monthly and he did a big thumbs up and, and then drove off when the traffic light changed. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> so... I've heard that allegedly Paul's driver was a key figure in a in a lot of you scruffs having access to Paul. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, John Hamill was a good guy. He got to know the faces. I think it was his job to get to know the faces and to sort out if there were if there was anyone dodgy. There was one time in 1992 when I I remember I just got made redundant in KPMG, so I had a bit of time on my hands. So I went up to MPL and Paul's car was there i couldn't believe my luck so i thought well i'm bloody staying here for hours and hours and john hamill came out and said what are you doing and i said i'm waiting for paul and he said he's not here it's only linda i said oh can i wait for linda and he said yeah all right (laughs) (laughs) i waited for linda and then she came up and uh he ushered me to her and i was allowed to get an autograph and she said are you vegetarian i said no Wrote, <laughs> you should wrote, have lied, go, John. Lie next time. <laughs> so she wrote, go, "Go veggie, love Linda." That was pretty cool. Oh my god! I mean, I can just imagine you saying, "You know, oh, I loved Oriental Nightfish." Oh, do you like that one? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did like Oriental Nightfish. I, I like quite a bit of Wild Prairie. I think it's got some good tracks on there, but that was not released at the time. So I think all all I knew at that time in '87 would have been. Uh, Oriental Nightfish and Seaside Woman. I don't think there was anything else available. I've said this before, and I know it's really controversial, but I'd rather white-coated man be on Flowers in the Dirt than Motor of Love. Yeah, I'm with you there. And the track Cow, I think, is great as well. That could have been on Flowers in the Dirt instead of Don't Don't Be Careless, Love, which I think is the other questionable track. Oh, you see... You're clawing back my favour now. You're going after the Elvis Costello collab- collaboration. That's a sure no, fight away. No, I absolutely my love my brave faith. <laughs> it's, that's brilliant. And I love the, off the following album. I love The Lovers Never Were. And I love Mistress and Maid. But I don't think that Don't Be Careless Love is in the same league. And I don't think You Want Her Too is in the same league, if we're honest. That's just my opinion. I think on the whole, they did pretty well together. No, um... I like back on my feet a lot. Uh, yep. uh, Veronica good. on um, Elvis's album. That's very that's very strong as well. Right. Yep. Just one last thing before we get into the topic itself. Can you even fathom what it would have been like back in the scruff days if things like mobile phones and the internet were available? Would it have just been shut down immediately, like your access to Paul? Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's amazing. Like you know, like you know, like because you could just. You know, put out a tweet saying, Paul's at MPL, everyone mobilise now. It's funny, but it, information had a really uncanny way of 
uh, transmitting itself throughout the whole MPL Scruff community. Like if Paul was at the BBC, we all knew about it. If, if even if Paul was <laughs> going to be in the office, we, we somehow knew about it because there was some meeting tied up with this or that, or um, he'd been spotted at Abbey Road. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, without phones, like God knows how people, uh, I think it was just more old fashioned. People used to meet at six o'clock at the pub and they'd swap their stories. And, and I'm not sure, but it's amazing really that we had such intelligence. Honestly, just the fact that generations before the mobile phone had to, they had to be somewhere when they said they fucking had to be there. Otherwise, you never saw them. That's unfathomable to the modern world yeah. now. Well, I think the Apple Scruffs had it easy in one respect because all they had to do is camp outside Abbey Road because uh, they knew that, for example, when Abbey Road was being recorded, the album, and then once that was finished, they the following year they went to Trident because George was doing Orpheus past there or a lot of it. And uh, then John was back at EMI doing uh, Plastigona Band. So they just literally flitted between whichever studio was being used. And um, I wish I still had it, Carol Bedford's book, Waiting for the Beatles. It's one of the best Beatles books that I've read because it's, it's written from the fans' viewpoint. And they got to know the Beatles pretty damn well. You know the story of George inviting them into the studio and playing the track that he'd done for them, Apple Scruffs. Just a gorgeous story. No, um, didn't didn't a couple of Apple Scruffs get to play on the original version of Across the Universe as well, the the harmonies? Yeah, I'm not sure if that was the Apple Scruffs or just two girls recruited from a local nightclub. Um, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't sing particularly well, I have to say. Now they have to <laughs> no, sent no. out to get you know to get some couple of girls at very short notice. I don't think it was Apple Scruffs. I might be wrong, but either way, I, I don't think that original version of across the universe was particularly good i think john was right in saying it you know it didn't quite work out and that's why it wasn't a single so and again specter does a great job in my opinion on let it be no definitely no um again separate the man from the music yeah yeah but also fuck phil specter on the same note um <laughs> Right, folks, uh, it's time for us to move on to the main order of business today, which is the famous, or should I say infamous, James Paul McCartney TV special. And I'll just run down some of the basic facts. Essentially, if you don't know, it's a 55-minute variety show put on by Paul McCartney and Wings, where they connect a series of performances and skits together pretty much for the fun of it. Well, I say for the fun of it, we'll get into the real reasons why this thing was made in the first place shortly, but it was broadcast probably only once. Uh, in the US on PBS on Monday the 16th of April 73 and here in the UK on ATV Thursday the 10th of May 1973 also. Uh, if anyone out there knows if this was played in any other territories, please let me know at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Now, John, I'm not going to be so rude as to assume you watched this live back in 73 because you told me you, you got into Wings around London town, so I know you probably wouldn't have. So, since this wasn't released officially on VHS, when the hell did you first come across the James Paul McCartney TV special? Uh, probably through some VHS bootleg in the, <laughs> in the late 80s. Yeah, but you could get most of this stuff at Beatles conventions. My first Beatles convention was 84, so I guess around then, possibly. And this is back when Beatles conventions did not care about copyright law. 
Yeah, and I think I think maybe a couple of years, maybe in the early nineties, Andrew would know this. They got they got raided, and all the all the bootleggers got closed down. But for a few years, you could get whatever you wanted. I can just imagine. <laughs> like, I can just imagine some some guy in Sing Sing prison. You know, what are you here for? Murder? What are you here for? Extortion? <laughs> what are you here for? Oh, I, was, I was selling hot hits and cold cuts. Yeah. So I mean, it wasn't very good quality. I seem to remember. Are you talking about the video or the or the, uh, okay. the special? <laughs> well, both really. I mean, uh, yeah, the quality of the sound wasn't very good. Um, and again, Sam, I'm pissed off that the only way you can get a DVD of this to this day is is buying the bloody Red Rose Speedway Deluxe box set and spending two hundred and whatever quid. Yeah, I think that's just disgraceful. You know, the fact that it wasn't made available separately. I mean, is so it... I, I don't have it yeah. officially. I, I watched it on YouTube. Oh, well, you've answered one of my future question, questions there because I would have assumed you would have had the ridiculously expensive Wildlife and Red Rose Speedway box set. And it's funny, they made Bruce McMouse available for digital download or renting on iTunes. So well, very very briefly, I think it was on YouTube, but it was taken down within a few di- few days. Yeah, but James Paul McCartney's been on YouTube half a decade now. It's been on on, on YouTube yeah. as long as I've been a podcaster. But Bruce McMahon's not, I don't think. No, no, I I picked up some of the archive box sets when they were reduced price, like Venus and Mars, Speed of Sound here in Budapest were at half price. So I picked them up, twenty five quid each. Twenty five quid? Yeah. Fuck off! Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! But if you remember, the full price was only fifty quid in the, at at that time, and then as each box set came out, the price kind of went up thirty percent. And now, when, if we ever get London Town and Back to the Egg, they're going to be going to be five hundred quid for the pair of them, probably oh. in some special <laughs> suitcase. No, I mean. <laughs> If I don't get, uh, you know, some sort of cheesy, squeaky egg with the back to the egg set and like a paddle or like a life jacket with the London town one, I am going to be upset. <laughs> I mean, the guys at MPL who make who make the stuff, who design, the, you know, the tat for our shelves, they are living yeah. the life of Riley right now because they can't make a product we won't buy. Yeah, well, even I'm going to bite the bullet and, and pick up those two because I got a particular affection for late period wings because I was buying those albums when they came out. And so they're probably the most two. I have a real soft spot for Red Rose Speedway as well, but um, those last two wings albums. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've just, just realised something, John. We've got access to Lawrence Juba on Facebook. He's my friend on Facebook. Why have I not asked him if MPL's approached him about Maisie yet? Why have I not done that? That's ridiculous. I don't know. I sent him a message the other day on Facebook saying uh, how much I love Back to the Egg, and he gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> um, yeah, Maisie will be on the archive for sure, as as will Cage and whatever else they have there in the, the version of Getting Closer with Denny. Yes, singing yes. The vocal. Yeah, yeah. going to have that. <laughs> and the long version of Love Away. <laughs> you heard that? No, I need to check that one out. Definitely. Adrian Allen sent me that. You know Adrian Allen? That he writes books on McCartney. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just got a new one out. You, you, uh, you did a video yeah. on it. I've seen that one. Yeah. I'd be interested to see if they include anything off the Paul McCartney piano tape, like um, the early version of the Rockestra theme, just on piano. 
Because I don't think we've had anything from that release yet on the archives, have we? No, you mean the piano tape recorded, when would that have been? 78 kind of time? No, it's, it, it's like 74. It's just before Venus and Mars, I believe. Oh, okay. I don't recall what was on there then. I, I'll give, is that the one with I'll Give You a Ring? Yeah, and like it's got Mull of Kintyre three years before it was ever recorded, and it's pretty much the exact same song minus like one verse. So I'm not quite sure what Denny added to it. But is he playing the piano on the- yeah. A piano version. Yeah. And even, even more insane, this blew yeah. my mind. Lunchbox Odd Socks has lyrics to it on this album, on this recording. Are they any good? Um, <laughs> you can't make out what he's saying, but it's clear that there was a melody there. And yeah. like, it's like, I can't get no love. Dum, dum, above. Like it's, it's, it's very much like, you know, when he's block, like blocking out syllables in the way that yeah. like David Byrne speaks in tongues or something, you know? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't my favourite as an instrumental. It was a bit dreary, I thought. That the second half, yeah, but but the first half might be one of my favourite McCartney piano moments ever. I really love that. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's very much, you know, that kind of 1985 style of piano playing he does. Yeah. Anyway, back to the James Paul McCartney TV special. Um, please enlighten yeah. me. Do any other artists have a TV special like this? Because in my mind, it's not really a UK thing to have a TV musical special. It seems like more of an American tradition. Like, did, I don't know, did Bross ever have one? <laughs> I'm just trying to think of anyone who had something similar. I know Ring- Ringo had one in 78 for Bad Boy, which was a complete flop. <laughs> I um, imagine so. <laughs> uh, but uh, I like the album, by the way, Sam. But anyway, that's my opinion. Uh, what else? I can't really think. I mean, bands like 10CC, they never had one, I don't think. I mean, they obviously put out loads of videos. I think videos became the the method of promotion, really. So if, in terms of videos, who was king of the 70s? It would have been someone like David Bowie. Mm. He was probably the, the most prolific on the video front, off the top of my head. Elton John. Mm. More, more kind of top of the pops appearances. He wasn't doing videos too much in the seventies, and then he got into them in the eighties as his music declined in quality. <laughs> no, like Paul was, um, Paul was really ahead of the game in terms of music videos and video promotions, especially with Wings. And yet, this is such a not a left turn, but it's certainly heading northeast. At least I'm like, what the heck is this? I mean, yeah. Before before we get into why, let's just talk about what. What the heck? As you know, I'm a I'm a child of Sky One and E4. What's ATV? It's it's the part of ITV which was run by Lou Grade. I forgot what does it stand for? Associated Television, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So Lou Grade was the one who said, "I don't believe you." When Paul gave a, a writing credit to Linda on Ram. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. they had this big dispute. Uh, Lou Grade said, you're just trying to keep money for yourself by, by giving Linda a credit. And Paul said, no, Linda's helped me with the harmony, so she gets a credit, period. And they left it at that. And this was the peace gesture from Paul. He made this special for Lou Grade on the understanding that Lou Grade would no longer question Linda's songwriting ability. Yeah, I mean, Paul never had to do it again after Ram. So I'm guessing... Once this had been settled, uh, Paul's finances were a little more solid. 
But yeah, Lou Lou Grade was the chap that bought Northern Songs after John and Paul sold their shares. Yep. And I mean, he's not going to be the last person to try and fuck with Paul over song rights. But um, a very interesting point I read in Howard Soon's Fab, An Intimate Life of Paul McCartney. Um, he, yep. he says, the fact that we get Beatles songs in this special is indicative of what hard a bargain Grade was pushing at that time. Yeah, I, I don't know much about him. He's not the most savoury individual, should we say that? I mean, I, I think <laughs> Lennon did a show in 75, which was connected with Lou Grade, and his band for that concert, although he only did three songs, Slipping, The Sliding, Imagine, and Stand By Me, but his, his band was called the Band of Motherfuckers, B-O-M-F, <laughs> <laughs> and they were all wearing masks on the, on the back of their heads as a kind of dig at Lou Grade being two-faced. <laughs> so that, that, if you, you can check out, there's a video of him doing Imagine, at least on YouTube, with the red, he's wearing kind of a strange red jumpsuit. <laughs> and everyone else has got this, I don't know who's actually in that band to this day. I don't know if it's, I don't, can we even know the musicians? Uh, whether it's Klaus, no, it's not Klaus. I don't know, but they've all got masks on anyway, so you wouldn't know. I'm yeah. sure the uh, the elephant would have it in its memory, but you know that's for, that's a, a joke yeah. for a lesser podcast than this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should know. I'm, I'm pissed off with myself for not knowing that actually. Oh, I usually know trivia like that. <laughs> oh, I don't know, John. <laughs> I don't know trivia. I just have extensive notes to make it look like I'm uh, that I that I know things. <laughs> I mean, just going back to the channels, um, folks, ATV doesn't exist here in the UK anymore. Most TV is rather ubiquitous over here now, except for like your local news. But strangely enough, back in the day, the UK had several independent regional TV channels. I kind of remember Granada Television when I was growing up because they did Coronation Street. But, yep. but besides that... Well, L- London Weekend Television, LWT... With the famous down, 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 down. I remember down. Rutland Weekend Television, but that, again, that's a slightly different, diff, different quality. I think ATV were the same guys that broadcast Zoo Gang as well, which McCartney would write the theme tune for the next year. So I'm not sure. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. How over were the negotiations? And if Paul has to do a crappy theme tune that's going to be on the B side of one of his best selling singles ever. Yeah, and I know. I know Crossroads, Crossroads was on ITV, the soap opera, but I'm not sure which part of ITV. Oh, it was. yeah, very good point. He probably got that. Yeah. He probably got the licensing maybe on 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 the cheap for that. Who knows? I used to like Crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mind you, I liked I liked EastEnders as well when I was living in the UK. Yeah, I'm more of an Acorn <laughs> Antiques man myself, but you know. <laughs> Yes, uh, sorry, American listeners, these are going to be deep-cut British references from this point. You know, maybe me and John will start talking about Citizen Smith, which none of you will know about at all. <laughs> One foot in the grave. No, I, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Right. As far as I'm aware, unlike Put It There, the last uh, TV thing we reviewed on this show, I don't think there are any separate versions or truncated or edited versions. So we should be, have watched the same thing, right? Well, 
I was reading up on this as well. I'm not sure because you have the box set of Red Rose Speedway, right? So that is oh, that. No, I I, no. <laughs> I wish, my friend. I wish. Okay, sorry. Well, I haven't seen what's on there. If it's if it's what was shown on TV or, or whether it's got the extras, because apparently they did Mama's Little Girl in the acoustic session. It, what? What do you want, Mama's little girl? Oh yeah. Okay. You better give me some time for this heart of mine. I just can't take it all in. Still, I will remember Mama's little girl.
looks like they've all gone home. If you ask me. It's not much fun taking yeah, that no, You're joking. Both so relaxed. <laughs> yeah, no, you get this kind of sticky fingers on the guitar. I'll, I'll work in a little while. It's a bit hot too, isn't it? You suddenly realise that you're on. Gary. <laughs> I know. Gary. The joke's over. You know, as long, along with Bluebird, Blackbird, and um, Yesterday in the Heart of the Country, apparently they, they recorded Mama's Little Girl, but that was cut from the, uh, the final programme. You can, so that's you, one. You and can then, get the hell off my podcast. You're breaking my heart too much tonight, John. You, <laughs> oh, yeah, my well, God. I'm not too happy about it myself. And the other, the other thing, Sam, is um, I'm not sure if this is true, but you know the video for Uncle Albert only has the Uncle Albert section. Do not tell me they filmed the entire thing and then cut it to less than 50%. Please well, don't say that. I don't know whether to trust the, uh, this website I was reading because I've never to this day seen... I find it a bit strange that Paul would have made... A video for half of the song <laughs> but uh it's quite possible because you know what he was smoking in those days so he might have just forgotten about it and uh moved on to the next thing but um i don't know would you would have thought he would have done a section for admiral halsey maybe it's too cheesy for words so even paul was ashamed of it. no but no but come on even john lennon said the hands across the water bit was good like like yeah. come on it's it feels like studio meddling. If it, you know, I mean, quite fittingly, Sony would buy ATV, and they are the the movie studio that most edits and truncates their final cuts and edits, and they abuse the rights of their uh, directors with final cut and stuff. So it kind of makes sense thematically that um, ATV might might get stuck in here. You know, it seems uh, Along the lines of, you know, that chap who um, sold all of uh, John and rock and roll tapes ahead of time early just to make a, a quick book. It's got, it's got, it's got the air yeah. of that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Forget his name. What was this? Morris yeah, Levy. No, Morris, Morris Levy. Levy. Yeah. There we go. I only did an episode on rock and roll last week. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, right. Let's dive in. The first thing we see is a little flash of a clapperboard, which kind of gives it a little bit of a legit production feel. It's a nice little flourish. We get the classic logo for ATV, which I'm sure would spark massive nostalgia for anyone of a certain age range. Then we cut to behind the curtain of the stage and we hear the sounds of what I assume is the show getting ready. And weirdly enough, John, it's all shot through a fisheye lens, which is a visual I would more associate with 90s skateboard videos than a Paul McCartney TV special, but it's very surrealist, quite intriguing. It's almost like a back to the egg image. Um, you know, the, yeah. the, the inner sleeve has got that kind of uh, crystal ball look to it. Then we zoom in on the band, getting ready to perform, and the, the lights dim, the curtains raise, and I love to have my expectations dashed. I love the rug pulled out from, from under me. And rather than one of the very boring audiences that we're going to see later on in this documentary, you know, mostly comprised of people in their 60s, Instead, we reveal a wall, a literal 50-foot wall of television screens. Big bomb bed, F. One, two, three.
And considering how rare and expensive TVs were back in you know, the 70s, this is quite a feat, actually. And we hear the sounds of applause, and it's all the TV screens have clapping hands. The band performed for no one, pardon the pun, but, is it, but it isn't really for no one. You know, they are playing for the audience at home, watching it on their own television. So there's a real interesting kind of intertextuality for it here. Yeah. I can't put my finger on what it is that they are saying. It's a little ambiguous, but it's clever and it's artsy, and I like yeah. it. This is one hell of an, in, of an introduction, right? Yeah, no, you did well. So you're talking about the performance of Big Barn Bed right at the beginning. Of course. Big Barn Bed, yeah. what a song. And is it is that the song where they have the the little bios of each member of the band, the like favourite colour? Oh, like... we will come to that shortly because I oh, might okay. have a little quiz for you there, John. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, just a, a little behind the scenes. Um, I fucked up and I haven't got all my notes done, so we'll be recording this in two parts. I swear, half of my time today was just pausing the documentary to write down all of these facts about each member of the band. But as I'm sure you know, when, when I was discussing Put It There with Andrew, we were talking about the brilliant work of Jeff Onefour, who I kept calling George Onefour. I'm so sorry for that one person who complained on YouTube. I really am sorry. But uh, Dwight Hemming, his name is, he's the, he's the, he's the director. It doesn't say that on Wikipedia. They've actually got the name wrong on Wikipedia. But... For what he's been given, I'm guessing it's not the biggest budget if this is ATV trying to make a, a quick buck off Paul, but with the with the scant resources he has, I'd say that in terms of the visuals at least, uh, this TV special doesn't really put a foot wrong. Uh, you're talking about the whole thing or just the concert footage? Oh, um, I, I there's, there's not a visual that stands out to me as particularly bad or clunky or anything. I'd say the, the musical choices would be what turns people off rather than the visuals. Yeah, no, I think it's done quite professionally. If one contrasts that to the concert for Bangladesh, George's thing, where the cameraman was probably stoned because <laughs> you, you, you only get one angle and that's about it. Whereas this one, I think with a lot more care and attention was, well, as is typical of Paul's work, really. He doesn't do things by halves, does he? No, um, um... It would have been nice if, you know, Keith or Michael Lindsay Hogg did it, but you can't have everything you want in, in this world. And I honestly, you know, we're going to go through piece by piece all of these sequences. I think they all look yeah. great. They're all quite, I'm not going to say classic or timeless, but in terms of, you know, Wings being quite a naff band, it's it's iconically naff, especially yeah. the dance sequence we're going to get to later. Yeah, no, I, I think it's... Probably could be described as a guilty pleasure, this whole thing, really. I don't feel guilty, and neither should you, John. But um, back to Big Barn Bed. This version, it's yeah, it's live. Major credit to Paul. A lot of this special is live or semi-live with overdubs and remixes later on. Um, how does this version hold up against, say, the album version or the 1973 UK tour version for you? I uh, don't recall a tremendous difference. I, I had the feeling they were singing over a backing track but if you say it's live i believe you i think they if it is live they do a remarkably good version i think it's a good number to open a concert with it's got it's got that great intro um which obviously we first we first heard on ram mm. but um with the guitar coming in and denny on the acoustical going it's great I, I mean i love it as a track it's one of my favorites on the album and i don't recall this version being particularly 
better or worse, to be honest with you. It's just a bit more joyously ramshackle in the kind of wildlife sense. It's yeah, they do play it note for note, but it's all just slightly different. Or it could just be a weird mix. Maybe they recorded it in a studio a second time. I don't know, but it's definitely not the album version. Okay, I'll have to check it out again. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's slightly heavier. Like I don't know. For me, Big Big Barn Bed has always been the the proto beta version of Junior's Farm. That kind of silly rocker that Wings did. You know, we we, we always hear about silly love songs, but Wings did quite a lot of silly rockers as well. Yeah, can, can I just qualify a comment I made just a minute ago? When I say guilty pleasure, I don't include Big Barn Bed in that. Okay, and I, don't <laughs> include, I don't include Red Rose Speedway the album because I love it to bits. I was just referring to some of the cheesier bits in this documentary, which we'll come to. <laughs> oh, no, we will get to Gotta Sing. Spoiler alert, we'll get to Gotta Sing, Gotta Dance and <laughs> the uh, the Beatles medley later <laughs> on. Um, but honestly, my favourite my favorite part of this uh, was when Paul goes, um, give it to me, Henry, which is something that he always does with guitarists. Like, you know, take me down, Jimmy, something like that. And only just the other day, I heard on Seaside Woman, he goes, take it away, Denny. And he goes... Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's always been... Uh, that, you only just noticed that. Yeah, literally. Yeah, it's great. I love that. Yeah. Take me down. Oh, yeah. Take, oh, take me down, Denny, I think I, I think he says. Um, oh, this, it's such a good little, little moment. And I have no idea why he's refused to play this song in all the years since. Like, he played it in 73 a couple of times. They've slapped it on the Wildlife Wings Over Europe extra bonus disc for some ungodly reason. But yeah, this is um, a really a really cool in- introduction. And over the top of it, we get the questionnaires section. And it's yeah. a, a clever way to distract us from the fact that Wings playing to a bunch of screens wouldn't be that engaging after the first 35 seconds. So <laughs> we get some biological field notes and witticisms here. But... I'll ask you one thing before I go into the nitty gritty. Do you think these questions were really filled out by the band or do you think it's the work of corny TV writers? I think they, it was probably done in cooperation with the band. It, it reminds me of, there was a magazine called Smash Hits, which I think was mentioned on one of your recent pods by... Wacky Macca Thumbs Aloft, yeah. Was it Andrew Dixon who mentioned that? I can't remember, but... Um, Smash hits used to be basically aimed at teenagers or young teenagers. And you used to get, and the early Beatles, same thing. You had similar magazines that weren't called Smash Hits, called something else, where you'd have these questionnaires that was very typical of those teeny magazines. Favourite colour, favourite food. <laughs> you know, the most inane questions. And it's a bit annoying, but it's, you know, it's, quite, it's a bit of fun at the end of the day. Right. No, it definitely feels like something the kinks or the animals would do, you know. It feels a little beneath Paul, if I'm honest. Uh, it... Well, I've seen the Stones do it. I can't remember who else. Well, if the Stones, if the, if the Stones do it, well, you know. <laughs> Smash Hit was around in the late 70s, early 80s, so all of those boy bands and Duran Duran, they would have all done it. <laughs> well, I, I can't wait to go online and find out what George Michael's favourite colour was later. <laughs> but yeah, you know what, John? I'm going to go through uh, each of them, and with each of them, I'm going to stop and see if you can remember one out of the piece of uh, trivia for each of the band members. Are you ready? Oh, 
Henry Campbell, Lycan McCullough, born 21st of July 1943 in County Derry, Ireland. Hair, fair, eyes, blue. What's his weight? Uh, uh, 14 stone. (laughs) Ten and a half. Close enough. (laughs) Favourite colour, green, naturally. Favourite food, Irish stew, naturally. Comments. And this is wacky hilarity here, John. Hate getting up early to fill out questionnaires. Oh, how zany. Oh, Oh, Henry. Excellent. What a knee slapper you are. (laughs) Dennis Philip Sywell. John, promise me you won't laugh. Yeah. I only found out today that Denny is a nickname for Dennis. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) I just thought Denny was a cool name. I was like, oh. Uh, that makes a lot more sense now. It is a bit cooler than Dennis. Yes. <laughs> now, um, I had I had a bad habit when I was trying to write scripts when I was a young man, and every main character was called Denny just because I loved the name. Um, right. Dennis Philip Sywell, born July 10th, 1943, in Layton, Pennsylvania, USA. Height, six foot two and a half. Weight, very 185 pounds, which I liked. Favourite music, R&B. What was his comment? His what? So there was a last section called comments where the band writes a little comment about themselves. Can you remember what Danny Sywell said about himself? Uh, I don't know. I love American food or something. As American as kidney pie. You get the point for that one. That's that's (laughs) fucking close enough. No. (laughs) If anyone emails in and says John doesn't get the point, unsubscribe from the podcast because you're wrong there. That's close enough. Denny Freddie Lane, real name Brian Hines, born October 29th, 1944, Birmingham, England, yep. the best city on the planet, Brubais, uh, hair brown, eyes green. What was his comment? Oh, crumbs. Denny Lane, what would he say? Bonus points if you say it in a Brummie accent. Uh, <laughs> I, love, I love playing in a band. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Would you change my name? <laughs> Why did he change his name? Why did he change he my name? Yeah. <laughs> then we get to the most annoying one, because you can tell Linda thinks she's being really fucking clever with these responses. And I've got a sneaking suspicion she wrote them with Paul as well. Linda Louise McCartney, lovely name, born, I was, birthplace, it was, hair, strawberry blonde. That's incorrect. Linda's not strawberry blonde. She's blonde. What? I'm going to move swiftly on. I'm not going to get hung, hung up well, on that. If you look at the original wedding picture from March 69, she looks not quite blonde there. Right, folks. This is the big question of this episode. Email in at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hit me up at McCartneypod on Twitter. What colour is Linda McCartney's hair? This might be the most important question we've ever brought up on this podcast, John. Um, <laughs> weight varies. Favourite colour? What was Linda McCartney's favourite colour? Well, I'm not even sure if she was a vegetarian at the time, but uh, I'm, I'm going to say pink or something. Sunset. Well, <laughs> oh, that's you're going to give me half a point for that? <laughs> Depends on what, on what time of the sunset it is. You'll get half a point, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if you'd have said dusk, you would have got a full point. But And then uh, comments... Quite frequently. So Paul and Linda become vegetarian. Yeah. Because um, I, I wouldn't like to say, or well, when did Paul give up smoking? That's not a good one. Ooh. 
I know the story of his vegetarianism is he caught a fish and then he was like, I don't want this to die for me. So he threw it back. When did Paul stop smoking? Um, I thought he spotted a lamb in the field outside of their house. I see. This is the or thing, John. Both. This is this is the thing. Paul has said in interviews that Jet is about his dog, but then in a 2010 special on Band on the Run, which I saw on ITV, not ATV, here in the in the UK, hosted by yeah. Derma O'Leary for some reason, uh, he said that Jet was about a horse. So, my God, Paul, get your act together, son. Um, <laughs> please let us know where these things actually came from. By the way, I was. I was um listening to Band on the Run the other day, and I, I can't get through that track yet. I just don't enjoy it anymore. It's, just it's the it worst song on the album, by far. Yeah, it is. I agree. And everyone says, oh, yeah, great single, and it's on Wings Greatest and everything, but God. Right. To, qu- I, I, to quote my friend yeah. Tom, it's subpar pub rock. It's awful. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it more on Wings Over America because it went well with Rock Show. Yes. That, that yeah. was quite effective. Mm-hmm. But um, listening to the album, I, I was enjoying tracks like Mamunia the most because I hadn't heard them for a while, you know? One day I'm going to see, you know, an article on Rock's back pages or an enemy or something, and it will say, Wing, you know, Band on the Run ranks, and one day no words will be at the top and I will die a happy man once that finally happens. I feel like that is the most slept on, underappreciated song in the entire Wings canon and everyone shits on it because it doesn't have a bridge I'm like so what come on like it's the only song on the album that doesn't outstay its welcome that is like four and a half minutes long you know yeah no it's a good one and Adrian Allen's very fond of that track if you read his book note to self invite Adrian Allen on the show next week and and have all of your notes prepared when you say you will um (laughs) Last but not least, James Paul McCartney. I didn't fucking know his name was James Paul McCartney till this special. So thank you for that, ATV. Born June 18th, 1942, Liverpool, England, near Wales. Hair, many thousands. Eyes, just two. Favourite music. What was Paul's favourite music? Uh, Stevie Wonder. Good. That's what it says. Good music. Good. <laughs> oh, very nice. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, just, I just like good music, you know. Um, favorite color, <laughs> all loves of life. This one did get a manly sort of, I didn't tear up, but it choked me a little. Loves of life, Linda and the kids. I can't argue with that. Well, that's nice. Yeah. And uh, comments blank, which um, is quite funny. I do remember, I do remember quite recently he was looking back on the Red Rose Speedway period as being very romantic. No, it's, a, it's a, a very active Linda period. Her, her kind of involvement in the band does yeah. regress as it goes on. Like, I don't think there's even a Linda moment on Back to the Egg. Uh, she's certainly more in the background. I, I think she's, she's pretty good in the videos. Yes. She's pretty good in the videos. You can hear her on, um, you know, To You. You can definitely hear her on that. Yeah. But um, not a lot of Wings classic harmonies on on that album, but obviously they were trying out the new bandmates and stuff. But yeah, anyway, when Paul's final answer should have appeared on screen, the little comments, it cuts to Paul's going, good evening. And my God, John, that little touch sent shivers down my spine. It was, I actually got excited at that point, even though I knew Gotta Sing, Gotta Dance was still coming. 
Then, um, <laughs> one of my favourite questions to ask here on this podcast, and this is yeah. not, I haven't got anything to do with the content. Generally, what do you think of the hair and clothing in this TV special, John? <laughs> it's certainly of its period, isn't it? Uh... <laughs> we are in full Linda and Paul mullet mode. It's glorious. They look like they live in a Kentucky trailer park. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, quite a fan of 70s culture in general, so I don't have a problem with it. I remember a younger fan friend of mine went to see Rock Show with me and he was complaining about Paul's uh, shiny silver suit he was wearing or whatever. Yeah, and that weird pink sash he wears as well, yeah. Here in 73, yeah, the, the mullet is particularly extreme. I don't, if I'm honest with you, I don't much like Linda's hair in this period i think she 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 looked a lot nicer in uh 76 to the to you know to the back to the egg period now see that's interesting you should say that i think not in this particular segment when she's in full mullet mode but linda actually has hair and makeup for once in this project like someone actually takes the fucking time to make linda look nice obviously she's not a sex symbol she's paul's wife that was never going to happen but yeah. Throughout this review, I'm going to be pointing out, like the sexist pig that I am, that Linda looks fucking gorgeous in this. I think it's the best she's yeah, actually, ever looked. Maybe I'm confusing uh, this with the, the 73 tour footage, you know, where she's got that side parting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm confusing with that. I don't think that's her best look, but I'm just looking at the the uh, Tony Jasper book in front of me here and the picture from them at the pub with the pub scene and she's looking pretty nice yeah i've just always had a bit of a thing for linda that's just my thing um have you ever asked yourself the question which which beetle wife if you if you could marry any of them which which one ridiculous question i know but uh see the thing I is I'd, I'd go for linda i couldn't I, I can't be a vegetarian so i'd probably go with olivia because I want I want someone who's going to save my life if I'm being stabbed in the neck. Yeah, it's a toss-up between Linda and Olivia for me. Also, Olivia has one of the greatest quotes of all time, which is, what's the secret to a happy marriage? Not get divorced. You don't get divorced! Yeah. How clever yeah. is that? That's like Beatle-level witticism. I love it. I absolutely love it. But I know that in the Andrew Dixon episode I did, we ended up speaking for about... Uh, living in the material world for about 10 minutes so i shall resist doing that <laughs> once again you know i like it to four sides of a square you know his, <laughs> his hair like a fucking turban like a fucking turban oh uh, honestly i can like the wizard of oz or singing in the rain or oliver i can watch living in the material world over and over like on complete yeah. loop but, but the, i'm not sure if i mentioned this to you before or not but the, it doesn't cover the other solo albums it kind of starts and stops with all things was past <laughs> yeah it does i think like scorsese goes eh, something called living in the material world it's only the title of the movie come on yeah, and I, don't, I don't think that album is even mentioned in the movie is it let alone dark horse i mean or the self-titled which is my favorite so I don't know what, it, maybe he, that's volume two. I can just imagine like De Niro ringing up Scorsese being like, in your money, where's extra texture, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am sorry, Rob, it's got to be cat, you know, got to be cat, got to be cat. No, that was a Tarantino impression. I don't know why I did that then. That was very incorrect. Um, 
Anyway, um, still on the first scene, and we end rather hilariously with the announcer, who we never hear again. He's a proper, like, tonight, it's the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Like, he does that kind of thing. But it's, this is James Paul McCartney and his band, Wings. Um, I've just got to say, John, I love the Red Rose Speedway era because it's the only time they were honest about what Wings was, that it's Paul's backing band. I find that quite refreshing. And then the next sequence we cut well, to... Well, you mean because it was called Paul, McCart- Paul McCartney and Wings? You mean, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Well, band, band on the Run as well, yeah, same year. Yeah. Then next we cut to a sequence where we see Paul sat on top of a stool with his acoustic. He's surrounded by what I assume was, at the time, top-of-the-range photography equipment. And circling around him is Linda doing her thing, taking snaps of her husband doing his thing. Of course, Linda's the photographer of the group, and it's great that they were able to incorporate that invaluable role of hers into this special. I really appreciated that. Linda looks spectacular here, I must say, John. Um, Yeah. And I can remember the very first time I was like, oh, my God, I'm like 16, and Linda McCartney's in thigh-high blue boots. This is perfect. I don't know what was going on. It made me a man. Let's, Let's just say that. But we'll get into the individual songs in a second. This sequence is too short, isn't it? I'm not sure. I mean, the first thing, are we not going to jump into the songs? Because that's my only real comment. I mean, I think I think uh, its length is okay. I mean, I wouldn't want the whole thing to be acoustic. Maybe he, he didn't need to do a medley, if that's your point. And I just find it a bit annoying that he's harking back to Beatles, having, you know, taken a principal stand up, up until this point with Wings and said, no Beatles talk, we're not performing Beatles. And then suddenly he's doing Michelle and Blackbird and Yesterday. And it's like the beginning, it's almost like the beginning of the end, because that's all Paul does these days, right? But in 73, it was the first time he allowed himself to do that. Allowed himself or was pressured by a fat guy with, well, with, with a cigar going, Paul, you got to do yesterday. Wah, 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 wah. It, it feels Well, like I think the me. truth may be a bit of both. And also he might have been a bit scared that wildlife had not really done very well at all commercially. Sorry, so uh, John, John if, you, if you know this, this TV special, what the fuck is wildlife, yeah? It, it has no bearing on this special whatsoever, does it? Like You mean it's in terms of it's not mentioned, etc.? It's not mentioned. There's no tomorrow, love is strange, mumbo. I mean, Bitbop would have been perfect in the acoustic segment here, along with the, uh, the, the Hey Diddle medley. Yeah. So we, we talked about Mama's Little Girl was, was done and cut. I, I would have had him, if I was in charge of editing this or suggesting what Paul would sing, yeah, I would have him do Ram On and, you know, every night stuff from his solo career. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have had a Beatles song inside. <laughs> and then he goes, I've got another one called um, Don't Let It Bring You Down, but I'm not going to release it for a few years, but we'll put it on this special, you know. <laughs> that definitely would have made it a little bit better. Um, the first song is Blackbird, a very slapdash version. I just wish he played the whole song, just 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 one of them. Smile a little now, that's it. this moment to be free mm-hmm. 
you can't take away from the fact that people would have been losing their minds over the fact that this is the first Beatles material any of them had ever done, I believe, since the breakup. Apart from Lennon had done Come Together in uh, Madison Square Garden for the one-to-one. Oh, was that before this? Right. Cool. Yeah, that was August 72. That's why I bring you on the show, John. That's why they pay you the big bucks. There we go. <laughs> um, now, I mean, technically, he did do Long Tall Sally during the oh, European well, uh, tour. Hold, hold on, Sam. George did um, a couple of Beatles songs on... Um, Concert for Bangladesh. Songs on Bangladesh as well, yeah. Come on. Ringo must have done Octopus's Garden busking or something just to make a few a few quid. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to buy some more whiskey. Will someone pay for me to sing on the street corner? Oh, Ringo, <laughs> you and Barbara go to rehab, please. <laughs> yeah, um, you get a little bit of Blackbird... I mean, as someone who appreciates live music more than anything, I did appreciate the fact that all of these versions we hear, it is Paul just noodling. It's him fucking about on the guitar. He knows his way around the fretboard. He moves on to another ramshackle version of Bluebird from the upcoming Band on the Run album. A real close-up here now. That's a big eye and, oh, lovely, big eye and smiling. fish eyed. How about Country Dream, a little Country Dream? Country Dream, how do you like Bluebird instead? Bluebird is Bluebird. I never really have a bad thing to say about it ever. I'm not sure you do, John, either. So let's just move straight on to Michelle from Rubber Soul. (laughs) 
was fragmentary then you ain't seen nothing yet because we get like half a verse and then two runs through of the song like he repeats himself and i don't know is he intentionally sabotaging it in the way that people accuse lennon of sabotaging the bass on the long and winding road or does he genuinely not remember the words like lennon on the rooftop i don't know i think a medley was just a cheap shot answer maybe they were short of time or pressed for time and they could only have a five minute slot so he had to do like segments of four different songs that's that's the only thing i can think of well the fact that he doesn't play full beatles songs feels like a bit of a, a smoking gun to me like look lou i'll play some beatles songs but i'm not going to play them in full because that's just not what i'm about so it's almost like a tease for wings over america and three years you know actually it would have been nicer if he'd done a whole version of bluebird just the whole thing acoustic because that hadn't been released at the time so that was a brand new track fans had not heard it yeah i mean um, a lot of the band on the run stuff would have been done by the time the like because i know denny sywell's famously said that paul basically stole all of his drum lines so these songs were semi-ready oh well, yeah i'm not sure if they were recorded yet but they were probably being written yeah. It didn't get to go to Lagos till September. Then we come on to Heart of the Country. So we got on the bus and off to the heart of the country. Hi. Gonna move. I'm gonna go. Gonna tell everyone I know. Living in a home in the heart of the country. Got a horse. I got a sheep. I'm gonna get me a good night's sleep. Living in a home in the heart of the country Heart of the country where the holy people grow Heart of the country smell the grass in the meadow And John, I never thought we'd see a reference to ram ram what was ram you know no one knew what ram was in 1973 and to hear him come out with what my friend tom would call the best stoner anthem ever was utterly endearing to me i love that he paid homage to this Uh, it's definitely the highlight of the segment for me yeah but again he doesn't do the whole song does he no definitely not and to think that there's footage of Mama's Little Girl somewhere. Yeah, I hope I hope there is, unless it's been lost. Oh, along with 
segments of King Kong and six episodes of Doctor Who, the the the, the missing footage of Mama's little girl will turn up. Nine, in... nine, there are ninety episodes of Doctor Who, Sam. Really, there are ninety episodes of Doctor Who still fully lost forever. Yeah, yeah that's basically. I've said this before on the podcast. Why is this like? If you take a Venn diagram, in one circle you've got Beatles fans. You take another yeah. circle, you've got Doctor Who fans. The yeah. the two circles are borderline <laughs> congruous. Yeah, and it's amazing how many people are into both. I, I agree. James yeah. Griffith for one. Yeah, it's. I think it's got to do with a, a, a fan of quintessential Englishness. It has to be something to do with that. Yeah. Well, I obviously I, I grew up on it as well. You know, Troughton was my first Doctor way before you were born, but it, and the Beatles were still together when Troughton was the Doctor. So Christopher Eccleston is highly underrated as the Doctor. I only watched it from Eccleston to Tennant. Uh, I couldn't stand Matt Smith. I've heard the new girl, Jodie, what's her name, hasn't done a, yeah. a particularly good job either. But the problem I, I have with Doctor Who is that it's got the conceit of a cartoon, which is everything goes back to the way it was by the end of the episode with minor changes. I'm like, I'd rather have a Doctor Who one-off Netflix series where there's an end to it, but I know that that's not what the show's about at all. Well, you have a few tear-jerking moments throughout the show's history, like when various companions leave. You know, oh, I'm not going to say there's, there's, better, I'm not, gonna say there's not quality there. Um, the episodes that I've seen, um, one was called Blink, which had the stone angels in it. I thought that was fantastic television. Yep. One of the specials which brought back the master. Uh, I thought that I thought that was really good. Yeah. But episodic television just holds no draw for me. Like I'm more of a, a Sopranos guy, where it's like if you don't know the last three seasons of not just the plot, but the intricacies of relationships and interpersonal conflict. Basically, John, I like That's a show. Right. That, I, I like a show that makes me feel smarter than I am. Basically. <laughs> I think I think that's the shorthand for yeah, it. Yeah, well, I, I I think The Sopranos was groundbreaking. It was one of the earliest shows to to do that kind of thing, and uh, a really clever way to end it with the fade to black as well. Annoyingly, there are very few Beatle references in The Sopranos. I believe you see a copy of Rubber Soul once in the background somewhere, but oh, yeah, just to have Tony Soprano driving through New Jersey, going, you know. That was the note that you never wrote. Like, I would, I would, I would lose my mind if I, if I saw that. Oh, Tony, what are you listening to Wings for? Beatles are better. Oh, you know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure David Chase would write better dialogue than I just came up with on the spot there, but I'll give him well, that. Well, reminiscent of Alan Partridge, but Wings are at the band the Beatles could have been. Wings were the band the Beatles could have been. What's your favourite Beatles album? The Beatles' greatest hits. Like, yeah, least with the red and the blue. That joke is not funny to anyone other than Beatles fans, and that's why I love it. I'm like, oh, Armando Iannucci's thrown me a bone. Love it. Love yeah, it. yeah. Anyway, Mary Had a Little Lamb. For some reason, this is the first song we hear in full since Big Barn Bed, which I don't think anyone asked for, but... Paul is clearly enamoured with this song and nothing would sway him. Mary had a little lamb Its fleece was white as 
throughout this segment is essentially a full-on music video with the band doing some very Eleanor's Dream-esque kind of stuff. There's definitely parallels between these two sequences. Yeah, and all dressed in white. Yeah, um, I don't think any of them really deserve to to, uh, dress in white, if you know what the traditional meaning of dressing in white means. Uh, Not digging up Linda's dirty laundry or anything like that. Moving swiftly on, um, before we get into libel... Correct me if I'm wrong, though, just going off looks, this looks like the same park where they shot the front cover for Wildlife in London. It does. It does look similar, but then, you know, parks look pretty damn similar. So <laughs> I've, I've, I've done a bit of research trying to find out where that bloody tree is, Sam, and I, I, I haven't got very far, I'm afraid, nor the river. That might be the best no. put-down I've ever had on this podcast. A lot of parks look the same. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I read that it was in London. That's all I know. Uh, okay, we've we, we've narrowed it down to the biggest metropolitan city in Northern Europe. Cool. Yeah. Wicked. That's um, it's, uh, half. And also the back the back cover of the archive version of Wildlife seems to have been shot in the same. Well, I don't know if it's the same day because obviously that this video is seventy two, right? And Wildlife was shot in seventy one, mm-hmm. so it's a year apart. But I, I'm really personally happy that we've got three. I think it's three different videos of Mary Had Little Lamb. And, uh, or is it four? I remember there's a psychedelic one. <laughs> it's probably the song with the most music videos that no one ever wanted. It's, uh, I kind of feel like yeah. it's Paul trolling his audience slightly. Or does he just think that this is genuinely really funny in the sense that this is a kind of a protest song i mean like how do you view mary had a little lamb is it a classic guilty you know pleasure or is it dross no not so guilty pleasure for me i mean uh i think he did it as a response to one as a response to give ireland back to the irish being banned and, but secondly because he had a daughter called mary who was at home at the time age two and um he played this little song to her. How have I never realised that? Fucking hell, John. Thank you for enlightening me there. He's got a so, daughter yeah, called but, Mary. Oh, my God. I think I think Pete Townsend bought a copy for the same reason, that he had a daughter who wanted to hear it or loved it or something. So, you know, there's a lot of kids in the world who like that record. And it's a bit like the We All Stand Together. A lot of people slag it off, but an awful lot of people love it. If you take it in the context in which it was made and released. And I think it's a lovely... I don't think it would have been good on an album, but as a standalone single, it works. Oh, no, I mean, you could have forced it onto wildlife, maybe, but it's like... It's a bit like Islands. I don't think Island would have been that good as an album track. I think those, those songs which came out in 72, 
high, high, high C moon being the third one, are quite nice to have as standalone singles. No, I mean, there is that theory that, you know, if you put high, high, high C moon, live and let die on Red Rose Speedway, it would make it this massive hit album, but it's already got my love on it. How much more of a hit on an album to carry it kicking and screaming do you need, you know? Yeah, and then what would you... What would you leave off? And now we're going to get into controversy, obviously, because some people hate the medley and some people love it. And I'm, I'm in the love it category. Power and Cut's legit one of the best songs ever. I love yeah. Power Cut. It's so good. And I love Hands of Love, the third one in the segment. Great harmonies. Harmonies between Paul and Linda on that track. Really good harmonies. And it's got, like, um, I always love it when Paul does silly vocalization, like, um, you know, on the silly love song yeah. demo, who go, jump, jump, bum, 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 bum. But then on Hands of Love, it's, only Paul could do that. Like, George and Lennon could never get away with something like that. And yet Paul does it with effortless grace. And he does the same effect on average person on types of peace, doesn't he? I'm sorry, folks. I'm I'm completely tone deaf, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a hey hey guy myself. But uh, I mean, to be fair, I think I'm the only person in recorded history who likes tug of peace. But I'm a contrarian hipster born in '92, so you can't trust what well, I say. It's not. It's not bad, but. Where do you stand on the whole Red Rose Speedway being a double or not argument? It's definitely one of those alternative realities. You know, what if Kennedy hadn't have been shot? Uh, what if the Nazis had won World War Two? What if Red Rose Speedway had been a double album? I think the geopolitical state of the world as we know it today would be vastly different. I think, <laughs> I think you know, it'd be unrecognisable. I mean, if a couple of extra 100,000 people had heard Best Friend, I mean... <laughs> the Nixon wouldn't have got in the office, you know? Okay, I detect a, a touch of sarcasm in your <laughs> voice. <laughs> do you really, John? Do you really? <laughs> um, as regards the Nazis winning World War II, one has to go no further than watch Man in the High Castle for that. Yeah. But Amazon. Is, is Amazon Prime going to make a series for me, John, called Red Rose Speedway, the double album? <laughs> well, probably not. But I didn't ask you as a <laughs> kind of historical importance <sighs> question. I asked you as a fellow fan no. whether you think... Uh, Genuinely. I'm, into my, I'm glad they've released it in the archive 100%, collection on percent. No, uh, without any sense of irony, I think it would have been better. I think it would have been just to give a, a great semblance of what the band was doing at that time. Um, I just think it's a common thread in Paul's career that he's quite incapable of detecting what of his material is the best to go on to go on the album. I think Egypt Station is a fantastic ex ex example of that. I mean, I've got emails coming in every day saying, "Sam, make sure you talk about the B sides from off the ground when you cover it." to the point where I'm going to have to do a separate episode just on the B-sides from off the ground because they are so well-loved. Well, it's funny you say that because When Winter Comes was recorded in 92 and somehow didn't even get onto a B-side, let alone the album. And I just can't comprehend that because, in my opinion, it's a better track than a lot of those B-sides you're talking about, oh, like yeah. Long Leather Coat and Big Boys Bickering and... I think it's a beautiful <laughs> song and it's yeah. certainly better than Biker Like a Bloody Icon. No, I love that song so much. Oh no, do you? 
<laughs> there was a girl who loved a biker. I think I like it because I'm quite an annoying person, as you can quite tell. Again, though, whenever the fandom reacts quite violently against a song, that just pushes... You know, like when a father tries to keep two young lovers, star-crossed lovers, away from each, from each other? Yeah. If someone if, says it's bad, so- oh, you're just going to push me push me towards it, you know? You're going to make me like it even more because it's wrong. It's it's dirty to like Red Rose Speedway and Wildlife. Like, ooh, I'm getting a bit of a kink out of saying this is this is my favourite yeah. album. There's only about five tracks throughout Paul's career, which I don't like with an intensity. Literally, I mean, no more than five. So that's not bad in a career since which has been going 50 years, right? Can you rattle them off the top of your head for me, please? Yes. Biker Like an Icon. Mm-hmm. English Tea. Mm-hmm. Gratitude. Don't know that one. Don't know that one. From memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, by you. You don't like fur you. Fuck no. off. Fucking fuck off. hate it. Fucking hate it, man. <sighs> I'm trying to get Simon Abood on the show. You can't say this, John. I don't much like Cook of the House, if I'm honest, but I wouldn't know if I'd put that in my worst five. So that, that's about it. Come, come on to me. I don't much like Come On To Me either. Wow. Very interesting. I mean, um, what, what about some of the, the uh, offcuts from Egypt Station, you know? What about, like, Domino's or something like that? No, Domino's is a great track. I mean, Egypt Station is such a mixed bag. I mean, you've got, like, Back in Brazil, which is great, and Domino's, and Despite Repeated Warnings, I love, and I don't know at the beginning. And then you've got For You, which is just drag. Sorry, there's, there's no defence. I think when you had... Uh, the author, Perezzi, on your program, he was saying something similar, like they should have used it for a commercial or something, but not put it on an album. It does fit. Do you remember those classic iPod adverts where it would be a black silhouette dancing with the white iPod against a stark, bold colour background? It's, it would be perfect for one of those adverts. It really would. You know, yeah. some kind of Skoda, maybe. I don't know. Uh. <laughs> It's funny, though, because for me, Come On To Me is a track that I really couldn't stand the first time I heard it. I was like, yep, this is Paul not only scraping the bottom of the barrel, but like drilling through it. But now for me, I find it maybe because I saw him perform it live and I was emotionally overwhelmed. I love that song so much. And you saw him perform it in the the carpool karaoke as well. Ugh, honestly. (laughs) Carpool Karaoke is one of those examples of where I do not meet halfway with the fan base at all. People love that video. And I'm like, you're a, a bad person. You're a bad person if you like that. You're a gen- like, you've got no morals or character. Uh, I don't care about your opinion. These, these are harsh words, but it's honestly one of the worst pieces of media I've ever seen in my entire life. And not only that, John... James yeah. Corden, quite clearly in shot, has to read the lyrics to come on to me off his phone. Fuck off. That's the most unprofessional thing. You, it's not a difficult song to learn in five minutes. You just go, no. just go to the toilet. Ow, 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 ow. It, it's three chords. You try with the chord structure, you'll sing it. Come on. But yeah. annoyingly... But we, can forgive him. we can forgive him a lot because he was great in Gavin and Stacey. No, um, James Corden... A terrible American host on TV, but when I saw him live in The History Boys and when I saw him in the movie of The History Boys, fantastic actor, Galen Stacey, brilliant writer. But for some reason, he thinks he's David Letterman. Which yeah, I, which I agree. Yeah. Time 
too I'd like to lie in a field with you Would you like to do it too? back once again i'm of course joined by my pal john heaton to continue our discussion of the 1973 james paul mccartney tv special now like many of our longer shows it's been recorded in two parts for the sanity of my poor guest however the twist here is now that in the interim of recording these two bits we've actually stumbled across a video on youtube that contains the entirety of the james paul mccartney tv special sessions so if you remember earlier in the show john's loose lips sunk my battleship as he mentioned Mama's Little Girl was performed during the acoustic segment, which broke my heart. But folks, it gets a whole lot worse. The full list of extra songs demoed during those sessions were Mama's Little Girl, Hands of Love, the Love is Long segment from Long Haired Lady, Country Dreamer, and then two Buddy Holly songs, including Take Your Time, which appeared on Holidays, and That'll Be the Day. John, first question, yes or no, should all of these have been included? Yeah, well... I listen. I could only find a, an audio version only. Was there a video as well, or was it Sadly just audio? Not. That, well, yeah. I, I mean, it was all filmed, so yeah. Associated te- Television may, may have it in the vault somewhere, but if it wasn't yeah. included in the box set that's just passed, I don't think it's ever going to come out. Yeah, well, I, like anything, it's a bit frustrating. It was great to hear Country Dreamer. It was pretty good to hear the Love is Long bit from Longhead Lady. It wasn't it wasn't very good to hear a five second snippet of hands of love. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, come on, Paul, it's not the most complicated song ever. Although he does forget the words to yesterday, I think twice during, during the session. Yeah. That was Linda had to remind him, right? There's a go again. It's like, all right, John Lennon, calm down, mate. You know? (laughs) Yeah. We have to put the lyrics on your mic stand soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we we need a definitive, version with everything don't we really (laughs) yes no we need the definitive version of Susie parker or Susie's parlor whichever one you want to go with yeah right starting us back off on the right foot we have a rather unique little number here as it only really exists as a live cut this is the little woman love sea moon medley
a soft spot for this, you know, Frankenstein machination. And it's one of the ultimate champions of like obscure McCartney music. Like it's two B-sides merged together. So it's definitely a wink and a nod for the fans. John, I don't think this track has, in, in this form has ever made it onto any of the archive editions, which considering Wings Over America is especially egregious. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I think Little Woman Love, when he first started touring in 75, he included it in the set list. And by the mm -hmm. time he got to America, he dropped it. I'm not sure about Sea Moon. Maybe that was included in 75 as well. I think it was. You see it on the um, Wings Over Australia or Wings Over Melbourne, yeah. I believe I believe it is. It's, uh, yeah. It was, it, was, it was a fun part of the set list, and it's a nice nod to the earlier era that pretty much gets discarded from this point on. Though, yeah. since it was cut from the Wings Over the World set list, if you hadn't seen this special or been on tour, you would never know this song exists, which is a, a real shame, really. Well, uh, other than it was the B-side of um, Mary Had Little Lamb, wasn't it? Little Woman Love? Yes, the uh, uh, it was the like a, a Ram session recording that was used on that B-side, I think. Yeah. Different, di so a different version is what you're saying, yeah. 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 And, and I, I just love medleys. They are quintessentially poor whether it's egregious or not. It, I think you can go over the top with medleys, to be honest. I mean, I think the Red Rose Speedway one works, but I don't like it when he, like on this TV special where he does a minute of Heart of the Country and a minute of Michelle, just like sells the song short, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true as well, because like so many of the best moments in those songs will be just one fragmentary moment that will just not be included. So it's all ruined. And do you, do you remember that I think one of the lowlights of Paul's live career was when, when he did a, a medley in Liverpool, P.S. Love Me Do, I think it was called. Oh, yeah, we've talked oh, about yeah. P.S. Love Me Do, John. Oh, my gosh. Dear, oh, dear. Dude, what was he thinking? <laughs> he, was, he was probably thinking, pass the joint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm nearly 50 now. It, it hits me a lot harder than it, than it used to. Yeah. Now, in terms of visuals, John, this is probably the worst part of the special. Like, it is literally just a close-up of Paul's face for the entire thing, which is one of the, the cardinal sins I've always found of Paul McCartney visual media. media. So uh, we do get Linda in a nice little black leather number in the background, so that's a bit more up my alley, which took the pain out a little. Yeah. We then pan out, and the camera pulls back to reveal that, that demented close-up of, of Paul's face. He's actually hiding the fact that they're in a large studio hall, complete with a 30-ish member orchestra. I mean, I always love seeing Paul with any live orchestra. So imagine my disappointment when I found out that they were going to be launching into the worst number one single that Paul McCartney has ever put out, which, of course, is My Love.
I'm not going to say much. Well, you hate that song as well. What mm-hmm. is wrong with you? God. So, you know, yesterday when you were comparing Magical Mystery Tour to Sergeant Pepper? Yeah, it, yeah. It really struck a chord with me because I was like, oh, my love is just a pale imitation of Maybe I'm Amazed and I can't see it any other way now. This is the... Well, I'm, I'm going to let you defend it first before I go into a rant. <laughs> yeah, maybe in comparison to that, it's it falls a little bit short. But then in comparison to most of the ballads he put out post-Tug of War, it's one of the best. I mean, it's sugary. It's kind of love it or hate it kind of territory. Um, but John Lennon liked it. Uh, he was quite favourable about Redborough Speedway when it came out. And... Uh, a friend of mine, Mike Abbott, who's who's pretty down on the the whole album, says that this is easily the best track on it. So that's just his opinion. That's so funny. It's um, literally yeah. been a, a turn off for me since day one. My first exposure to it would have been on Wings Greatest, and he, and even back then I was like, oh, let's just skip to With a Little Luck. But it's a love song to Linda, who we all love. So, I know, you know, it's better than writing about English tea, surely. Give me through our love any day of the week over this. True, yeah, that's a good one. Which is post tug of, tug of war as well. It's always nice yes. to, uh, yeah. I mean, but like, yeah, I didn't mean to draw uh, <laughs> a firm line up in the sand. You know, you got no more lonely nights as well, which is on Broad Street, which is one of his best ballads ever as well. So I'm slowly starting to come around to only love remains. I'm not quite there yet, but I can I can feel it in like two years. I'm really gonna love it. Yeah, maybe. It's a little bit too saccharine for me. But then you could say My Love is as well. But I just think My Love has character with... Hen- I know everyone goes on about Henry's solo, but it was <laughs> it was a highlight. Not um, in this special, it's not, though, John. He fucks it up royally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, this version, of Wings was, this version of Wings was probably not my favourite musically, to be, if, we're, if we're being brutally honest. I love Danny Sewell and Henry, but I think they were more together as a band with the following lineup, with meaning English and McCulloch. Mm-hmm. I've always preferred the Lawrence Juba lineup, but that's just me being a contrarian again. I wouldn't take it too seriously. <laughs> I, I, I just wish they'd have done another take for this one. I mean, I know it's actually film, so time is money. They may have even ran out of film, but it just seems a a bit of a waste here. Um, let's uh, let's press on to the next misstep in a TV special full of massive missteps. We spoke about this earlier. We've got another reference to Ram, which has been woefully shortchanged in this special, but at least they've mentioned it as opposed to Wildlife. Yeah. Uh, this is Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey. Sorry, but we haven't heard a thing all day. We're so sorry. 
get a little close-up of Paul and Linda in a grey room having a cup of tea. Then, with some additional thunderclaps, we go to a grey office environment where I did notice that Paul was a, uh, had a temporary secretary in the form of Linda, which was a reference that, that didn't exist because that song didn't exist, but you can, yeah. you can you know, connect the dots in your own way. And then we cut to a very surreal, almost Terry Gilliam-esque series of lonely, forgotten old men standing about on the telephone. And then just before we get to the excellent hands across the water, John Lennon loves this moment segment, we cut to a commercial break. So, John, two questions. Yeah. What the hell was any of that about? And why did they only play then less than half of the song? Well, I'm glad he did a video for it, even if it was only for the first half. So I'm interested to know, when you listen to the audio this afternoon, did it have Admiral Halsey as audio, meaning there was a video behind it, or you can't remember? I skipped right ahead to the acoustic stuff, but I'm actually going to quickly search that on YouTube now. James Paul McCartney. Man, look something up on computer. Uh, well, when I first saw this, that special, I, I thought this was a long-lost video from 71, but it, it's not. It, it, no videos were made for McCartney or Ram, other than, yeah. I think, Paul driving across the, the beach on his horse for part of the country or something. Yeah, that's that's back when, like, even before the term music video existed, it was like a, a, a promotional short film. Uh, yeah, and I always wonder where the hell you'd ever go to see one of these. Like, would they just play it in the like in the middle of top of like top of the pops or something? Uh, very hard to get access. Well, it's interesting to all this because stuff. Heart of a Country wasn't even a single, so I'm not even sure if they had an album album moment on top of the pops where they played it, or I don't know. Because maybe I'm amazed it wasn't a single, but they put together a photo collage for that, didn't they? Yeah, very strange that was. I remember when I covered that for my one of my music video episodes, and I was like, "Oh, this seems awfully cheap for for a Paul, a Paul McCartney yeah. production." Something that kind of carries on over into this, but weirdly, like there's set design for this Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey segment. There's extras, there's props, there's special effects, and it all seems in service of nothing at all. I find it very, very odd. And the only reason I could come up with was maybe it's Paul edited this to be an hour, like a solid hour. And then someone came up to him and went, this is ATV, Paul. This isn't the BBC. You're going to have to put an uh, an advertisement break or a commercial break to our friends overseas. Yeah. And perhaps five minutes just had to be trimmed somewhere. And that's maybe where Mama's Little Girl went as well. Yeah, possibly. Because it was yeah on commercial TV, as you say. Yeah. Okay, let's have a look. Uncle Albert. It goes up to the drip, 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 drip bit, and then it cuts to the Liverpool stuff. So I don't think the whole thing would have been used. That's that's a shame, that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, just going back to my theme of being a sexist pig, Linda looks gorgeous in this segment as well. I know she's not Kate Bush in a Viking outfit or anything, but, you know, it's just such a refreshing take to see her wearing something that actually complements her physique for a change and not that awful peacock black dress she wears in the rock show movie, which haunts my nightmares to this day, John. (laughs) Then we cut to shots of classic 70s era Liverpool, where Paul does a little narration. The Royal Borough of Liverpool, I was born and bred there, in Liverpool, that is. In fact, I live there most of my life. It's a city of ships, streets, pubs, people, relatives... In fact, this old pub looks over the water. And bam, we cut inside the pub. Sorry, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't even see the water. Okay, 
after all? Yeah. Okay, Mildred. Get yourself a seat. Is Ginny here? Is Ginny here? Ginny's in here somewhere. Is she? Hello, Billy. Okay. Really. Are you going to sit here? Tommy? All right, son, yeah. I saw a couple of your brats the other evening. In good form. And you know we're actually there because the camera quality drops off like an episode of Only Fools and Horses where they go outside or something. And yeah. I've really got to hand it to Dwight Hemian and Paul here. They capture the glory, majesty, and borderline squalor that is the ultimate British pub experience. And I'm not going to say they pad out the special here, but we do just get to indulge in six minutes, a.k.a. a tenth of this whole thing. Just yeah. enjoying this very, very quintessentially British experience. Um, it's a very McCartney idea. It's pandemonium. Probably sounded great on paper, but it incorporates family, good time, togetherness, singing. This was one of the bits that John Lennon said was a bit cringy. He, he said he quite enjoyed bits of the special, like the live stuff, but I don't think he enjoyed this this bit too much. It's okay. I mean, it's a period piece, because, you know... For, Apart from anything else, everyone's smoking, right? Which you don't get in pubs these oh, days. Oh, it's so... John, uh, John, as someone who worked in a pub before the fifth lockdown, I'm fascinated by how pubs used to be. You know, um, For anyone who is not in England, pubs or public houses are mostly glorified, sanitised, commercialised restaurants now that also happen to serve a bit of alcohol on the side. Whereas here, we've got a densely packed room. There's no social distancing here. Everyone's getting fucking hammered. There is no food in sight. It's loud, raucous. People are singing, bumping into each other, spilling each other's beers. No one's looking yeah. at their phone. There are no chads doing coke in the toilet. And oh, you see Paul smoke a cigarette. It's so, it's so brilliant. I'm like, oh my God, you'd yeah. never see that anymore. You know, back in the day, they used to divide pubs into, I think it's called the men's bar and the ladies bar. So... <laughs> like a posh bit for the ladies to go and I don't think they banned smoking in either to be honest but it was like if you wanted to take your girlfriend on a night out you went to the ladies bar and all the men went drinking in the my local in Wimbledon was like that when I first started drinking King of Denmark King, that's a cracking pub name I love that do you think this whole sequence is Paul genuinely peeling back the curtain or is this a bit of McCartney propaganda to pass himself off as one of the common plebs? I think he genuinely had a close family in Liverpool and they genuinely did used to go to the pub. And I think they're not faking the drinking in this video. <laughs> From what I can see. I think you can see Jim, you can see Jim McCartney, Paul's dad, puffing away on, and drinking his pint. I think this used to happen. I think it's fairly, fairly legit. And the same would go for Ringo. Mm. Although I think he said that maybe they used to gather together in the front room in Ringo's house and have sing-alongs. Yeah, like, we do get four sing-along segments that are kind of in, in, intercut. We get uh, It's a Long Way to Tipperary, April Showers, Pack Up Your Troubles in Your Old Kit Bag, and You Are My Sunshine. Yeah. I think the real missed opportunity here 
is, and I don't think you would have been able to do this in a real pub, it would have to have been assessed, which is it sh- Paul should have got on the piano and led a song, you know? Yeah, as long as it's not Hey Jude, although, although at the time Hey Jude would have been quite a, quite a novelty, but I don't need to hear him play that song again live. Nah, there's so, so, something really uncommercial like Suicide or something like that. But um, Yeah, yeah. It's cool that the crowd dictates these songs, and I know this means a lot to Paul, and this will be a, a brilliant document, you know, for him, you know, even to go back, back, back to now. It's a portal to another world, but it's a bit meandering, and it, like all indulgent Paul McCartney ideas, it could probably be trimmed in half. The only thing I did notice, though, was we're only, you know probably less than half a year away from Paul recording Mrs. Vanderbilt. And here we see him singing along to what's the use of worrying from a pack up your troubles, your old kit bag. I'm not saying there is a connection, but I couldn't help but feel there might've been there. Well spotted. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Although we, we, we don't see a bunch of pissers going, Ho, Hey, ho, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> would have been very funny indeed. What isn't yeah. funny, John is the next segment Uh, the elephant in the room, as it were, which is Gotta Sing, Gotta Dance, which is somewhere between Your Mother Should Know and the ballroom dancing segment from Give My Regards to Broad Street. People call me a stick in the mud it's certainly not true Who could call me a stick in the mud When I polish my tonsils And put on my dancing shoes When I get that feeling at the end of my toes Gonna go in a trance Get nitchy feeling at the end of my nose Gotta sing, gotta dance Gotta sing, gotta dance Though there may not be much time As we all know, Paul loves these huge sing and dance numbers It's very Frank Sinatra-esque But the real drawback is that Paul McCartney cannot dance, folks And he is surrounded by these wonderfully dressed uh, female dancers where they've got one half of their bodies tuxedo and the other half is a ballroom gown and and they're great they've got this great choreography and symmetry and then you've just got Paul kind of shuffling away like an awkward uncle at a wedding it's embarrassing John please stop me from talking about this because I might end up quitting the podcast entirely yeah I mean it's not even a guilty pleasure this this particular one it's it's pretty loathsome I don't really need to watch it again no, I'm sorry I'm, I, I forced you to for this terrible conceit. <laughs> Me and Tony Blair, we're both up there for war crimes at this point. But um, I don't want to go into, into too much detail with this one. Like, I'd rather just encourage people to go out and watch it themselves and make up their own minds, because it's never correct to say something's objectively bad. But if you had to push me and force me to declare something in you know McCartney's oof to be objectively terrible it would be this it's a bad song it's bad dancing from paul at least uh, it's far too long it completely ruins the pace of the entire documentary because we've already had a, a lengthy 
you know, pub segment for like the last six minutes. So then we have to have, you know, four more minutes of just gotta dance. It's like, yeah. what do we do? We, we cut out Mama's Little Girl and half of Uncle Albert for this crap. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, Nicholas Scheffner's book, The Beatles Forever? Came out in 1977. No, oh, def, oh, def, def, definitely not then. I'm barely keeping Let, let me just it. read you what, what they say about uh, this, this TV special. <laughs> even, even those of us who were rooting for Paul found it hard to suppress our groans as wings nuzzled sheep to the strains of Mary Had a Little Lamb and as Paul tried to make passionate faces while crooning my love looking instead as if he'd just sucked a lemon. On the other hand, he tap-danced with some flair through Gotta Sing, Gotta Dance, a cabaret-style number he later bequeathed on Twiggy, and for the first time in a long time serenaded his fans with such vintage delights as Michelle yesterday and Blackbird. The programme attempted to project McCartney as an all-round entertainer, an image that would become more convincing in years to come. That's a pretty fair... Uh, BBC, you know, meet in the middle review of that. There might be a little bit of rose-tinted glasses there, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the tap dancing was done with that much flair, was it? No, I think someone might genuinely be, like, misremembering Singing in the Rain or something, you know. Uh, Gene Kelly, Paul McCartney is not in this photo. But if you talk about cheesy moments like that, have you checked out the video for Ringo doing the title track of Sentimental Journey? Oh, he's he's dancing with a load of ladies in a similar style kind of thing to this. And it's pretty hilarious. I mean, that that is genuinely funny. Oh, no. I've got it. I've got it up, folks. Oh, dear. As soon as it's YouTube. Oh, it's one of those 20 second adverts. I can't I can't skip. I'm going to have to fill some dead air here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Man looks up something on computer hasn't worked. Uh, just before we, we move on uh, and we watch this video, um, there, there's also a little skit uh, at the end of this where we see Paul and Linda in the cinema. And I actually only ever saw that footage in a fan edit music video for Monkberry Moon Delights. So that was nice to see finally. Oh, here we go. So we got re- uh, got like a little restaurant stage here. The American flag and English flag. Ringo's coming out. Oh God. <laughs> oh, no. oh, we've got a big. He's got a big, big pink tie on. Oh no! Oh, oh! <laughs> oh no, Ringy! No, Mister Starkey, what are you doing? Oh, and he's got like Sam, the, maybe oh this is God. another example of your stoner music. It needs to be enjoyed in the company of some some uh, Jamaican herb, herbal cigarettes. Yeah, Rod Rodney, we on the Jamaican tobacco again. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we return to the orchestral soundstage where we had My Love and Little Woman Love, and we get to see footage from Live and Let Die, oddly enough, with a rousing, you know, raucous rendition of the song itself. You know, American movies have got better popcorn than European movies. That's only an opinion. I go to the film to hear the soundtrack. Picture becomes a background. They just filmed a background for some music I wrote. It's the new James Bond film, Live and Let Die. Mm. Mm. And I must admit that the film helps the music work. So does the popcorn. When you were young and your heart was an open book You used to say If this ever 
must have been very happy for licensed James Bond footage to appearing on his channel, mustn't he? Yeah, that was interesting. But the thing I find most interesting, and maybe my memory, you need to correct me because you've watched it more recently, but isn't, doesn't the, the stage explode at the end with some, some guy <laughs> letting off a bomb? Yeah, there's um, a very stereotypical trench coat, sunglasses wearing, like sleuth up in the rafters of the stage and he sets up a kind of Freddy the Frog type uh, bomb detonator another Only Falls reference for you there folks and when the song comes to the climax he detonates it and the piano does explode and I was like oh that's a bit cheesy but then they show another shot of it like it's Dukes of Hazard or something and I thought it was just gonna be like a smoke and a flash but no debris flies everywhere there's an actual detonation there is no OSHA or health and safety regulations here and judging by the looks of Denny Sywell, Henry McCullough and the orchestra it was a lot bigger and louder than anyone was expecting and you know John if Pepsi Cola can light Michael Jackson's hair on fire then Lou Grade at ATV can certainly blow Paul McCartney's legs off. Yeah I just thought it was a bit unfortunate because it it maybe was around about the time of the IRA, wasn't it? Or just before they started blowing up bandsmen by remote control and stuff. Oh, God, was that a thing? I never even thought of that yeah, context. Yeah, so, oh you gosh. know, and then they obviously blew up Lord Mountbatten on his boat mm. off the coast of Ireland. So that was in 79. But I think with hindsight, Paul probably regrets that, that explosion. Yeah, it's not yet evolved into the... Like fireworks display, I guess would be the you know correct ev- like evolution. Yeah, for it, but know. but when they did at least when they did the fireworks display in concert, there was there was no hint of anyone getting killed, was there? No, and like Paul does like drop to the floor, you know, possibly in bad taste, especially nowadays. Yeah. But he wouldn't know, and you know, a lot of this stuff was probably thought up, you know, on the fly. Yeah. That poor piano, though, that actually gets destroyed. Let's press onwards to another infamous cringeworthy segment in this special. And despite how great an idea this probably sounded amidst the haze of weed smoke in the pre-production offices, the Beatles Street medley... When I get older, losing my hair Many years from now Will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. If I'd been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64. (laughs) When I'm home, everything seems to be right. When I'm home, feeling you holding me tight. It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a hard day's night And I've been sleeping like a log But when I get home to you I find the things that you do will make me feel alright Come by me, love Everybody tells me so Come by me, love no, 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 no. 
is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen put on the internet. And, you know, I'm a child of YouTube, folks. When I say a moment, I wish it only was a few moments because this is two and a half ungodly minutes of these talking head Vox Pop interview segments where the crew's clearly been accosting the public of Liverpool and asking them to sing the following Beatles songs. When I'm 64, Hard Day's Night, Can't Bobby Love, She Loves You, Obladi Oblada, or Obladi Oblada, as some people say, uh, Yesterday and Yellow Submarine. Now, John... Do you feel this yeah. skit started out as a genuine attempt to find singers or is this an early version of the X Factor whereby the whole purpose is to indulge in our own schadenfreude and laugh at kind-hearted Liverpoolians with bad singing voices? I don't know. The whole thing's a little bit grating. I mean, uh, it's funny because my, my two sons about five years ago went out into the streets of Wimbledon with a, with a camera and a mic and approached people in the street and, say, and said, do you remember any Beatles songs? And can you name the members of the Beatles? And the answers were pretty bad in terms of people couldn't name more than one Beatle or, and were str- struggling to name one Beatles song. So at least in 73, these old folks remembered. <laughs> you know what, John? You're fucking yeah. right. You are absolutely right. It's not like When I'm 64 is a hit single either. Obviously, everyone has listened to the entirety of Pepper back to front here, and they know when I'm 64, you know, by off the back of their hand. Yeah. It would have been a bit more interesting, you know, if someone came, came, came out and went, it's all too much, you know, something like that. Like, yeah. whoa, yeah, this, this, this guy's a mega fan. Or I'm so tired. All they care What's the shame Mary Jane had a fame at the party? I'm like, how do you know about that one? Oh, wink, yeah. wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. But, um, yeah, there's a couple of moments here that feel rather exploitative to me. Like, there's one there's one ginger lad that I just felt might have been a bit vulnerable or gullible or neuroatypical, as we say nowadays. And I, th- I just thought it was a bit callous. All, all, all in all, they probably should have just cut the whole thing entirely. But I'm not going to mention Mom's Little Girl and Uncle Albert again. 
though the highlight of this was the the musical team behind this segment because not only is every singer woefully out of time and out of key but they're all uniquely out of time and out of key and the backing band play like they're in fucking dave brubeck's band or something like the effortless jazz that they flip between with all these different songs and all these different signatures and beats and deliveries such a throwaway bit was actually pretty impressive yeah I mean, the, the only thing I can say in its defence is I admire the enthusiasm of these old, old people who are obviously genuinely nostalgic when they're singing uh, the songs. That's the only thing I'll say in defence of it. Imagine if they did this now with like, oh, does anyone know any wing songs? Oof. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and you're not allowed to pick Jet or Band on the Run or Mulligan Tire. Oh, God, even worse. Did, Next. He, did he see uh, Paul recently just said, I wish people would ask me a question about wings occasionally. I believe that was a, <laughs> a, a, a comedy article. I think that was a parody. I'm not oh, sure that was really? real. Yeah. Oh, oh actually, dear. Actually, actually, John, speak, speaking of this, um, you mentioned on one of your videos that there was an eight track of McCartney 3. That was something I made up on Photoshop as a joke and spread around online. <laughs> Oh really? There's yeah. no such thing. And and what no. about the seventy eight? The seventy eight was a joke as well. And the uh, and and the Edison tube as well. But I, I believe was one of them that that I saw going around as well. Well, I mean, it just oh. it wouldn't surprise me because the whole marketing campaign made made me a bit sick, to be honest. No, I'm, I, it's I, so I, I'm so over the top. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I think a cassette version came out, didn't it? Or was that one yes. of your hoaxes as well? No, that one was real. I mean, I have just started collecting cassettes now, so I am tempted to uh, pick it up. I picked up uh, Hope of Deliverance, like a pound on eBay, and I found that on side B, where long leather coat should be, they'd uh, taped over my brave face instead. Oh. Yeah, so it's a completely useless collector's item. Now I'm going to have to buy another one. Oh, well. Uh, (laughs) We'll move on to the final main segment of the show now, which is the Rock and Roll Live Grand Finale. We start off with another song that's more or less a, a Wings Easter egg, like an, a really obscure one, The Mess. always popular with audiences yet never actually made it onto red road speedway it was the b-side to my love so perhaps it was chosen for that kind of continuity as well but this is a criminally underrated wings tune what about you john is this where the special starts to pick back up for you not particularly i mean i, I don't rate the mess as a track i mean i know remember car and tyler raving about it in their book and they raved about junior's farm as well which is not one of my favorites either to be mm-hmm. honest they said it sounded like Get Back, which I, which I don't really see. <laughs> um, 
It's all right. I mean, it, it's okay. It's McCartney rocking him because McCartney hadn't rocked for about three years. They probably thought they'll take anything. <laughs> That's very. But true. I think he he did better rockers. You know, letting go on Wings Over America is about the best rocker he's ever done. Yeah, yeah. Weirdly enough, letting go is one of the only examples where Paul doing the same thing again aka doing let me roll it again actually created a better sequel like normally he's got a law of diminishing returns when he revisits ideas but my god letting go is such a good song i'm so glad i saw him perform it back in 2018 yeah it was it was the highlight of the set wasn't it almost pretty much um i mean i couldn't i couldn't not cry when like he got a bunch of school choirs out and snow was falling from the ceiling as he did wonderful Christmas time five days before Christmas uh, that has to be the most special moment for me really great he didn't do that in Vienna when I saw him did uh, Ringo and Ronnie Wood come out piss drunk and do a terrible version of Get Back that nearly ruined the gig for you as well nope none of that <laughs> oh well you were not missing out oh my, my mind God. you I was right at the back in Vienna and I've seen McCartney more than 20 times now and talk about diminishing returns yeah I, you know the, and the first looking back on that trip tripping the life fantastic you know as, as you said you had to be there or as andrew brooks said you had to be there because mm-hmm. the live album is not much is it it's a pale comparison it really is not not that i'd really know but i'll go off all of your expert opinions I've always just liked the mess, probably for the exact reasons you pointed out. Just just because I'm absolutely gagging for Paul to do a bit of shredding, um, you know, like he's yeah, 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 like right at the end. That was very early Beatles esque, and he's really working up the crowd. It's actually quite a young crowd. You've got all these young waifs dancing in, you know, standing up, and a bunch of hippies probably doing God knows what, and. There's actually quite a fun vibe going on for once. Yeah, but I think I prefer I prefer Best Friend as a <gasps> rocker from, from that period. Yes, such an underrated tune. I, I, I was listening to it on uh, Hot Hits and Cold Cuts today. It's yeah. one of the lost Paul vocals, for one. And is he writing about John Lennon or not? No, he's probably writing about... Uh, you know, he just loves that Denny Sywell. Why do you have to treat me so bad? Yeah. And the best friend you ever had. I mean, it's tempting to think it was about John, though. Yeah, it's hard not to just assume it is about John, though. That's probably the reason why it would have been cut. I mean, supposedly the wounds were healed with dear friend at the end of uh, Wildlife. So then to do best friend might undo that, perhaps. Yeah, I agree. I agree, because they had had dinner in New Year 1971 in New York City when John was living in Bank Street in, in the village. Mm. And I actually, when I was in New York, I went to Bank Street. And it's fascinating because there's no plaque on the wall. And he lived there for a good 18 months. And uh, we walked absolute miles. We, I remember we were coming from uh, Statue of Liberty, I think it was. So we, we, the boat dropped us off at the bottom of Manhattan. And we thought, oh, OK, we'll just walk to Bank Street from here. And it was about an hour and a half walk, at least. Wow. I didn't realise how big Manhattan was, but it was worth it. Does America have those blue plaque equivalents, like, you know, so-and-so lived here, blah, blah, blah? I don't think so. I mean, there was not an inkling that this... It was just an ordinary house in an ordinary street 
probably the same where Dylan lived in the same area and I don't think there's a plaque for him either. There's no man love for that avenue, clearly. <laughs> Again, that's why I'm paid over $30 a month on Patreon, John, for comedy like that, my friend. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm amazed. Maybe I'm amazed at the way you love me all the time. bore the regular listeners here but we are of the belief here at Paul or Nothing that McCartney has been unable to play or sing this song correctly since he released the album do you agree with that statement and what do you think of this version nope I don't I'm going completely against what Andrew Dixon said the other day I think the album version is is okay but I think it's a little bit rushed mm. and considering what a great song it was one just cries out for how how good good it would have been had it been on Abbey Road, for example. Mm. That's the first thing to say, because it would have been a prime contender for the, the follow-up to Abbey Road had they recorded you another one. You could have easily put it in place of Oh Darling, actually. It would have fit really nicely there. Well, you wouldn't want to drop Oh Darling, though, would you, Sam? Would you? I can make quite arbitrary cuts without thinking about it. That's why I'd be good at Apple. Yeah, just take, take off Oh Darling. Put it on the B side of Let It Be or something. I don't know. I think that's that's a great song because if if only because John John actually admired that song and it's not often at that stage of their career where he was complimenting Paul on his songwriting and uh, he said he wished he he would have sung the lead vocal, which is one. Of, it's such a stupid comment that is. His voice is not appropriate for it whatsoever it would have sounded like but it would have been interesting wouldn't it i don't know it was singing it a bit like cold turkey i i think it would he could have sung it well i don't think you should judge before you've heard it i mean we'll never we'll never hear it (laughs) (laughs) i for one absolutely would have preferred the denny lane vocal of getting closer to be on the back to the egg album i am not averse at all to a different vocal takes i just think that one song in particular i remember reading about it in uh, beatles songs i remember reading about it in revolution in the head and every time i was like no john just no we don't need all uh, oh darling to sound like bony maroney or rip it up ready teddy i just don't think it would have worked yeah maybe not maybe not but back to maybe i'm amazed the definitive version for me is the wings over america version the single version. I think Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy McCulloch absolutely nails that solo and he's so much more lyrical when he's playing it. You know, all hats off to Paul. He can play lead guitar, but that, it sounded a bit rushed again on the, 
because he did the guitar on Taxman, and that doesn't sound rushed. Mm. But but on maybe I'm amazed, it sounded like oh, it's, it sounded like first take. He should have just pretended that it was one of George's songs instead, and that might have propelled him to write a better solo. No, I mean the solo itself is great because mm. Jimmy's playing exactly the same notes, mm. and you have to credit Paul because he wrote the solo. So so in that in that respect, it's it's absolutely inspirational. But I think Jimmy McCulloch, the way he plays it on Maybe I'm Amazed on Wings of America, it's just sensational. I will say, though, Henry redeems his god-awful My Love solo with a pretty damn good rendition of the solo here in his own right as well. Also, in stark contrast to those young waifs and pixies and fairies I mentioned in the crowd for The Mess, when it pans out to the audience here, it looks like the crowd from the Liverpool pub popped in from earlier. Like, it's just old people. I've got no better way of saying it than that. And it's not like, you know, today's trendy old people where, where, where they've got Facebook and stuff. These are like turn-of-the-century motherfuckers, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, my God, why are they here? <laughs> Were they just told to that there was a free show on? It's a, a very weird environment, uh, not a good crowd shot at all. Well, you don't want the crowd to be all teenagers, do you? Oh, see. Well, do you? Oh, the whole thing should just be geared towards younger people. It really should. I think Paul with Red Rose Speedway, this particular era, he's still in the mindset of, Wings is going to have something for mom and dad and for the granddad and for the kids and the young kids. And it ends up being one of these jack-of-all-trade, master-of-none deals. And, I mean, Wings isn't going to get an identity, really, until Band on the Run, when you know we're in the third or fourth lineup of the band. And... They were just lacking a continuity and a definitive sound that really would have grounded them, I think. But that's why it's McCartney. He can't just rock out for six albums in a, in a row. That's why the Beatles worked, because you had John and George to temper that side of Paul, and you had Paul there to, ele- to elevate some of the more solemn John and George track. Yeah, I know what you mean, but... The, the, there's definitely an innocence about the first four solo albums of McCartney, which is lost on anything he's done since, with possible exception of London Town, where he gets back to that whimsy, you know, mm-hmm. because Wildlife, Ram, McCartney and Red Rose Speedway, he wasn't trying to please anyone. He was just doing his own thing. And that's what I admire about those four albums. And it is important for the story because, you know, if people ha- had responded to those albums we may never have gotten Band on the Run in the way that we got it. You know, he, he may have recorded the whole thing just at Abbey Road and, the, and there wouldn't be any interesting stories about Fella Cootie for us to reminisce about 50 years later. And let's not, let's not forget, it was a gradual get back into public acceptance for Paul, culminating with Band on the Run. But Red Rose Speedway is very much a step in the right direction, in my opinion, uh, after Wildlife. It was a much more commercial album, uh, the songs on the whole are better, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Little Lamb, Dragonfly, Single Pigeon, The Medley, One More Kiss. Just gorgeous McCartney melodies. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, in- so innocent. And n- none of that pretension, which uh, sometimes plagued Paul's later career, where he was trying to please people. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, people always have a go at. Red Rose Speedway for doing what I've just said, trying to please everyone. But 
no one ever seems to throw the same kind of accusation against wings at the speed of sound, which is uh, the most kind of obviously commercial in your face. Let's literally try and do something for everyone kind kind of album, uh, though it does make it again one of the more enjoyably shambolic wings experiences. Well, I think Speed of Sound is one of the best produced Wings albums ever. I th- I love the production on that album. And compared to Venus and Mars, Venus and Mars, I find find a bit stilted, as I said on on part one. You know, because Mm. I listened to Wings Over America first, maybe that's the reason. Yeah, but I I found it a bit too eclectic in its uh, style, whereas Wings of Speed of Sound had a continuity about it. And I don't mind Denny singing "Time to Hide." It's a fine song. Okay, Linda maybe shouldn't have done "Cook of the House." Joe English does a brilliant job on Must Do Something About It. And, and Denny does a fine job on the, the note you never wrote. On to our penultimate track now and the final band performance. And since this is the Wings early era, there's only one way to end a concert, which is with Little Richard standard Long Tall Sally. <laughs> same space the crowd has switched back to the far more youthful responsive crowd members and like i would have been they're going pretty mad there's jumping dancing actual excitement in the music there's an energy and it's the second to last song of the lot so better late than ever eh john yeah no this was great but wasn't there a difference between the american version and the uk version wasn't high 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 substituted for long tall sally on the british version now, I've read about this. I've read that there was a high, 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 but in that um, video where I, I found all the sessions, was high, high, high in that? Oh, it is. Oh, my golly gosh. Right, folks, we will end this episode. Uh, the secret song at the end will be high, high, high. I haven't heard that yet. How interesting. Thank you for bringing that up, John. I, I didn't know that. High, 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 yeah. No, uh, I'm guessing they must have filmed that in the same place again man looks up something on youtube james paul mccartney 73 hi 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 yep it's on youtube rare footage yeah. of the james paul mccartney tv show it's there yeah oh my gosh i mean folks. to be honest with you hi 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 has never been one of my favorite Wings songs i mean i it's okay it's inoffensive and he would do a lot worse but i I think even Paul was embarrassed by the lyrics. Yeah, polygon and body gun and all of that nonsense. Uh, Well, and just like, you know, playing around with groupies and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, fam- famous groupies is a much more tongue-in-cheek and... Uh, well, not that he did artist. play around with groupies because he was with Linda at the time, so it was fictional. Sure, John, it sure. even worse. Sure, No, I, come I, on, he was, he was. <laughs> oh, it's going to be... This is this is where the argument's going to be because uh, I... I'm, a, I'm far too cynical to ever believe that at all. I really am. Really? Right. If you were to ask me to bet my eternal soul, did Paul ever cheat once on Linda? I would not be able to confidently bet my soul on it. I wouldn't be able to confidently bet a £10 note on it, if I'm completely honest. But well, I, I that's would. just me. So that, that, there's the difference between us, you know. I think, I think Paul had so, sowed his wild oats, got it out of his system. He was into family... He might have written the odd song like Hi, 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 and he might have been tempted over the years, obviously, as you said. Uh, they would have been presented with opportunities, but, you know, uh, I, don't think, uh, I, I don't think he's straight. I really don't. To be fair, he did turn down heroin on the beach from two sexy ladies in, in swimming costumes, so he does have a certain self-control element. What year was that? I think that was during Help, I believe. I read that in... Um... Barry, uh, Barry Miles, his ex- excellent book, many years from now. Well, I mean, during help, he wasn't under control, was he? He was still, you know, he was about to split up with Jane Asher in 68 and then have a bit of a wild period before getting together with Linda. So I think, but after marrying Linda, I seriously think he's, he's the role model amongst all rock stars, bar none, in terms of marital harmony. That's how I feel about it. I might be wrong, but... That's just how I feel about it. This will be one of those things that I'll ask Paul on our uh, non-disclosure agreement contract signed dinner date that I will try and arrange over the next five years, uh, <laughs> where it's just me saying, come on, Paul, how much coke did you and Denny do in, in America? Come on, let me know. Come on. I suppose you're going to say when I met Linda in 92, I should have asked her the question, right? But I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You would you would have got such like she she she. I bet she's got tense veggie muscles that would have just totally jawed you. Oh my god! Like the yeah. way I've heard Linda be described as this guardian, this bastion of uh, safety and defense for Paul. Like if you couldn't get to Paul, if you couldn't get past Linda, you know she was she was the you know the final defense and. I couldn't imagine saying anything that would piss that woman off. I really wouldn't, especially you know, with the with the song she was writing at at, at the end of her life. She was clearly not not someone who suffered fools gladly at all. No, but you've heard the stories about all the abuse that she that, that was thrown at, at her when she married Paul from oh. the Apple's Drops, amongst oh. other people. Oh, horrible! You know, like t- dreadful stuff, like bitch and writing stuff on the wall of Paul's home, and you know. Was she? What was she supposed to do? Put up with that kind of crap? I mean, did um, did Patty ever get any of that? I've never heard anything about uh, Ringo or George's partners getting the same kind of abuse. No, not really. I mean, maybe because George lived in the country. <laughs> Good <know>. point. <laughs> I just hired my <laughs> wife away in a little bungalow in in a, in, in Isha somewhere. Yeah, possibly would have worked. And you know, Ringo was the bloke of the group, I imagine. So I probably he probably wouldn't take that kind of nonsense anyway finally we come on to yesterday which starts i believe with a snippet of a song called and that's the end of another day or something like that i'm not sure if that's a a, like a traditional cover or anything like that so now so here we sit at the end 
end of another day End of another day Yesterday. Well, let's have a bit of that. Yesterday. Yesterday, do that. Special request. Yeah. Special request. That's yesterday, baby. Okay, for number five, number <laughs> eleven. Here we go. Still got to learn it. All right. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. interesting this little bit here i realized at this point oh all of the beatles covers in this special have been by paul alone so it's almost as if only people who have ever been ex-beatles are allowed to play this kind of beatle material there's no wings performing beatles songs here which i thought was quite interesting we're still not going to see yeah. that till wings over america but this is probably the best truncated acoustic little jam in this whole thing i'd say yeah, it's all right, but it's done. It's done for commercial reasons. Let's face it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know whether it was Lou Grade suggested to him, or he thought I'd better sell a few more copies by, or better get a few more viewers by putting a few Beatles songs, which, which is what he's done for the last thirty years. But at the time, he was doing the opposite. And yeah. one of the things John Lennon admired about Paul after the split was how he got off his pedestal and started from scratch. I believe Lou Grade made him do these songs. I read somewhere in a, in, in a book that he was driving a very hard bargain in that regard. 
because the closest we come to Wings playing a Beatles song is obviously with Long Tall Sally, and that's probably another reason why the crowd does get so animated at that point, because it is a very recognisable Beatles song. It's a shame, actually, that we don't get any of the Beatles' piano numbers in this, though. We don't need all of Wings to be playing, but Paul could have easily sat at the keys alone and done Let It Be or The Long and Winding Road or that terrible version of Lady Madonna he did last year. Lady Madonna, children are to be... That was the pits, wasn't it? <laughs> I was like, thank God I wasn't like showing a girl I've just asked out on a date what Paul McCartney's doing or something because that would just end the relationship. I mean, the, right sen- the sentiment was good about, you know, he was likening Lady Madonna to the nurses in the National Health Service. So nothing wrong with the sentiment, but the execution, sorry, Paul. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's... Uh... Possibly one of the, it's probably one of the cringiest things he's done since the No Meat Mondays rap, which I probably watch three times a day for my own amusement. <laughs> no Meat Mondays. No Meat Mondays. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Um, one last thing on, on this special before we start to finish up. Did you notice Henry McCullough burying his head into his folded arms at the end of this? Because uh, a lot of people online with their armchair psychology say that it is indicative of. Henry being embarrassed of wings. Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Well, I read about that, but I mean, what? Why would he embarrass? Well, why would he, maybe he thought that wings should just be performing wings songs and establishing their own identities? So maybe he was cringing at Paul returning to his glory days, which which I have some sympathy with. Mm. But uh, if I was Henry, I would have just sat sat and admired watching Paul doing yesterday. I, mean, I don't see what. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. There's no no need to hold your head in your hands. No, um, I mean, it could have just been a long shooting day. He could just be resting. Uh, there's no need to assume the worst. And if Henry was really that embarrassed about this TV special, why would he appear in the Mary Had a Little Lamb segment dressed as a shepherd? You know, I think that's more embarrassing. Well, you know, I, I met Henry. I went to one of his solo concerts in the late 80s. Oh, and wow. I went backstage, and I got him to sign Red Rose Speedway, by the way. And I asked him about Paul. And, and first of all, I mentioned Denny for some reason. I said, I, I think I'd, I said I'd seen Denny recently. And he said Denny was a disgrace, and he a uh, complete traitor to Paul, and he was not complimentary at all about Denny Lane. And I said, what about Paul? What do you think of Paul? And he goes, one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. Wow, that's really interesting. You wouldn't have expected that. No, I was really pleased that he said that. But also, there is a certain sense, I imagine, in the music industry of if you do part ways, you don't you don't talk about the, the ins and outs. That's that's private business. And whilst Henry McCullough may have left Paul at a rather inopportune time, all of the songs for Band on the Run were still rehearsed. They were they they were ready to go. Paul could still play the parts. Whereas when Denny left the band, he may have sold his story to one of the tabloid newspapers here in the UK. Yeah, he did, but he was he was drunk in Spain and he got accosted by some journalist. That was his story. And oh, uh, really? Brian, Brian, Brian Adams, Denny's manager, said 50-50 truth versus fiction. <laughs> so, so I think Denny he, tried to tell Paul this, but Paul's not very good at... If you've hurt Paul... He's not, he's not particularly good at making up with people 
I mean, he made up with Lennon to some extent, but he's never really made up with Denny, from what I can see. They met once at a UB40 concert in 2008, I think it was. Wow. That must that must have been pretty awkward. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think I want to see Paul and Denny perform now because I don't think Denny's got the vo- the voice anymore. No, that ship has sailed, and a lot of people have already repeated this phrase ad nauseum. But the death of Linda was the death of any chance of a Wings reunion. It isn't Wings without Denny, Paul, and Linda. Uh, that's what Lawrence Juba said, isn't it? But, oh well, oh well. If I if I'm copying something Lawrence Juba said, I'm very happy with that indeed. Yeah, I think he said, you know, whenever he's mentioned the possibility of a Wings reunion to Paul, Paul said, "No, how can I do it without Linda?" Which is fair enough. Just do what you threatened to do. Allegedly, get Billy Preston in. I mean, he well, Billy Preston's dead, but I mean, he he could do the back to the egg lineup without Linda, but it would be a bit fake, wouldn't it? I think. I mean, if if we're talking about what ifs, John, you know, where's the version of Wings with Humor Kraken in? That's something I want to see. What Humor Kraken from the Ram sessions? From the Ram yeah. sessions, the best guitarist yeah. McCartney ever had, in my own personal opinion. Sorry, Lawrence. Sorry. And you know, you know what Lennon said when Humor Kraken played on "Happy Christmas War Is Over" in December '71. He he met Hugh. <laughs> he realised that Hugh had been on Ram, and he was oh, you were just auditioning. To play with me, were you? <laughs> Quite interesting. Just auditioning to play with me then, were you? Oh, yeah. That definitely sounds like the uh, witticism of John Lennon there. Everyone, I think that is everything we have to cover in terms of the James Paul McCartney TV, TV special. I hope you've enjoyed it far more than we had to, I'm sure. Um, John, I can. I reckon I can predict your answer if I was simply to ask you outright yes or no whether this is objectively good or not. So... Let me ask you, say if this film was available through a DVD or streaming service for, say, the cost of £10, £12, or what is it, like $18, or possibly something about €15 for yourself, I imagine, would you call the James Paul McCartney TV special an essential purchase for a budding McCartney fan? Absolutely. For for that kind of price, yeah. But I'm I'm just not willing to shell out. 200 quid to see it you know i mean i'll watch it on youtube yeah that is the mole at the end of the day i'm also grateful that there is a serviceable version with serviceable image quality on youtube for free folks i'm not encouraging you to illegally download it using various free software but apple and mpl they always get back around in the end you know they always come back so make sure you have access to this as you know, at at all times, we don't want another situation where there's two years without Revolution Take Twenty on YouTube again, or as I call that, the the dark days. Yeah, get it while you can because it might disappear. Yeah, it always does. You know, of uh, there's there's so many YouTube relics from the past that were uh, essential listening to me that are now gone. But we need we need London Town and Back to the Egg on archive badly. They're I mean, coming, that, they're coming, they're coming. Well, I hope so. You know, that TV special for Back to the Egg is up there for me as one of the best 30, 40 minutes of Wings material ever. I mean, it's puts better this, than this then, yeah? TV special to, to shame. Yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. I mean, just the Good Night Tonight segment alone is better than this whole special, really. <laughs> and the again and again and again video in the field with the flowers. It's just, I love it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Spin no. it on in the garage. Yeah. And I bet it was a lot cheaper to make than the James Paul McCartney TV special as well, which is the 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 defining factor, really. You know, yep. just, a, just a couple of bomber jackets and pay some aristocracy to let them wander around their castle for a couple of hours. Got you yep. on a TV special, bish, bash, bosh. We've got a chance and we'll take it. We may win, <laughs> we may lose. Ding, ding, dong, <laughs> dong, 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 dong. Now, uh, for me, it's it's all about um, the broadcast. Dum, 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 you mean reception? Reception. reception. Fucking hell. <laughs> ba-dum, bum, bum. Yeah. Oh, f- yeah, that is... That is my jam. And the extended version of that, MPL, if you're listening, better be on that box set as well. Well, you're talking about, because originally reception was combined with the broadcast, but I, I'm mm-hmm. glad they separated the two, to be honest. I don't think they really belong together. Do you uh, hope the, uh, the longer version of Backwards Traveller is going to be on the uh, London Town Archive? Oh, God, yes. That would be orgasmic. <laughs> <laughs> They should put that on the box, shouldn't they? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Quote from me. <laughs> John Heaton from the John Heaton YouTube channel. And then, <laughs> and then like, un- underneath it says, it's all right. Sam Wells, Paul or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right, John. Finally, uh, where can people find you and your content online, my friend? We just type in my name into YouTube. I'm not under some pseudonym like some others. So just type in John Heaton Beatles on YouTube and you'll get me or John Heaton Bob Dylan. Because I cover a lot of Dylan stuff and Clapton and mm-hmm. Supertramp, ELO, Fleetwood Mac, Pink Floyd. Talking heads. Anything 70s, really. Honestly, John, I cannot recommend people your channel enough. It, like, like I mentioned earlier, it is an incredible resource for me to not only get facts and trivia, but also just hone my review craft as it were I, I just love the way you approach music and talk about it in a very reasonable and well, yeah, just a very reasonable manner it's it's not over the top or falsely animated like myself where i'm trying to shamelessly get views by being dramatic and i'm really glad i've been able to finally get you on this show after you know what seems like years of us being friends on facebook now yeah this episode has gone so swimmingly well so thank, not, not, not only thank you for doing it but thank you for coming back for a, for a second day as well this is a ridiculously long episode once again it might even be longer than andrew dixon's which is funny because i think this special is only three minutes longer than the put in there tv documentary but uh i guess there's a pattern emerging where if i have youtubers on my channel three hours is the bare minimum you know well, I think, you know, it's a reflection of how much we have to say about the man. You know, we, we, we both love him and we both point out stuff which is not so great. But at the end of the day, we're both huge fans. And I could talk for three hours about any of his albums, really. Right. That is a challenge then. It, can, we, can, can we get John to, to oh, okay, what would be the, the most difficult album to talk about for three hours? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, oh. I'm just going through all of them in, in my head now. And could you do three hours on Driving Rain? I haven't listened to that yet. Would Probably you want two. to? Probably two hours. <laughs> two, two, <laughs> two, about three. two good hours, you know. I could do four hours on uh, London Town or Back to the Egg any day and Wings Over America as well. But just because it's so close to my heart and I bought it, it's such an important part of my life, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I remember when I brought my copy of wings over america in scarborough which 
is already a bit of a wings a, a wings reference in it in, in itself. Uh, when, when I was there, I always called it Scarborough like that, you know, because yeah. you have Wolf to. Wolfram Stowe. Wolfram Stowe. Ah, John, you can't believe how special I feel that there is a lyric called Sailor Sam from Birmingham. I mean, I'm terrified of open water, but I will still gladly call myself Sailor Sam from Birmingham, you know? <laughs> Excellent. Yes. John, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I, I can't wait to have you on again for hopefully a less harrowing topic that brings up less, you know, haunting flashbacks of, of one's past life, you know. But just Yeah, before... absolute pleasure, Sam. Enjoy your podcast. It's one of the best. So keep Aww. it going, man. Keep it going. <laughs> you <laughs> dirty little sycophant, you. You can't win any... <laughs> Yo, you're trying to get my good books, are you? Apart, apart, apart from when you slag off cafe on the left bank and i'm carrying you know which grates on me but i'll forgive you <laughs> it's your opinion oh no on, 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 honestly my friend this has been an absolute treat for me uh it's been the highlight of my week and i'm just glad i could spend two two days talking with one of the ogs about the man himself the big mac and your your apple scruff stories your uh, npl scruff story early in this episode is going to go down as one of my all-time favourite moments on this podcast, along with Andy's as well. So again, thank you for coming on. Folks, you've all been listening to another episode of Paul or Nothing. I'm sure Dylan has already been playing this out already. Keep listening to Paul, Harry Harry Krishna, peace and love, no more autographs. Play us out, Denny. Have a good one. See you. Bye. Tricky, but I want you to lie on
Yeah. yeah.